I, and I don't want to do like a deep dive into Space Marines. Like I don't want to do just like the reading the codex thing. Sure. But kind of hit. Wait, or, the, or we could do an audio book, the preferred enemies audio book. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I don't want to edit that. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's starting a whole new era of Codex reviews. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, if you hadn't guessed, we are talking about the brand new Codexes, which are which went up for pre-order yesterday as of recording. But we're not going to wait until they come out on shelves because we've got the Space Marine and Necron Codexes right here. Today, we are going to focus on the Space Marine Codex, since it is, you know, kind of old faithful. It's always kind of the first one that gets released for every edition. So we're going to dig into that one first. But as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And, yeah, the new releases obviously are the Space Marine and Necron Codexes, along with, like, data cards and some new models, like the Silent King model is going to be out next week. I think the Chaplain on a Bike is going to be out next week. The Heavy uh, Destroyer. The ATV. Yeah. The other Canoptic... Uh, dis- the Canoptic Destroyer, which is or the... Doomstalker, the, yeah. Yeah. And then the uh, the Thunderfire Cannon replacement. The Auto Cannon. I fear, the Sur- Fire Strike Servo Turret, because GW is so good at naming things. <laughs> also, the sick-ass Necron dice. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, I like them. I, 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 I'm still trying to decide if, if I, I probably won't pick up a, a, a set just because they're not going to match the color scheme of the Necrons that I'm planning to paint. But then I'm like, well, maybe I just paint the dice too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thought. I mean, they, they've got those insets. They're they should be infinitely washable. Yeah. You, like, use contrast on them or something. Although, yeah, the question will be how good they roll. Yeah, I, I, I imagine I'll just use other dice. Yeah, they're they're cool looking. That, but then the Nurgle dice were kind of cool looking, and they roll like ass. So, right. I, yeah, I will say in this case, like these are readable. If you look at the uh, Space Marine dice, uh, oh, yeah. they're not like the Which Raven are completely sold out. Yeah. Also. The Raven Guard dice are fine. The The Imperial Fist dice are a little bit tricky to read, but at least the color contrast is enough where, like, you can look at it and black stands out on yellow. Yeah, the but Salamander count not- the number of Thunderbolts around a fist is yeah, it's not like great. a bad idea. It's not great. The Salamander and Iron Hands dice are, like, unreadable. Like uh, the-, the Salamander are easily the worst. <laughs> count the number of coals in the fire. <sighs> yeah. It's bad. Yeah. They, uh, and the other thing that I'll always point out is stop putting symbols on the one and the six. One or the other. Don't do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, why is a brick of salamander dice, which is 20 dice, why is that $35? <sighs> Not that you can order them. Like, the Necron dice are $35. Why? Like, I get it. Custom dice are expensive, but 
this is you need a lot of dice for this game just go buy chessex like yeah spend your money on other things <laughs> yeah spend them on things like the new models like for 35 bucks you can buy a fire strike servo turret absolutely yeah or a locust heavy destroyer and that will be a much better use of your money exactly <laughs> yeah so uh no it's it's cool to see all this stuff out. Um, also, last week we had a pair of books come out. There's the uh, Beyond the Veil book for Crusade. Uh, unfortunately, due to a shipping mix-up, we didn't end up getting a preview copy. We got two copies of the other book that <laughs> shipped out, <laughs> which was the uh, Tactical Deployment Mission Pack, which we talked about when they first announced it, which was the, oh, well, if you're a TO and you don't want to make a lot of terrain, why don't you run this ter- this tournament pack and have people bring terrain? And we, our question was, how are they going to possibly balance this? How is this going to be good for anyone? How is this going to work out? Now, th- there are some pros and cons of this book. Now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to you know, send my other copy to everyone. So I'm right now the only one of us that has this copy. But uh, one thing I can tell you is like the uh, chapter approved, it has the entire rule section in back, which is nice. I think... Them basically saying anytime we're releasing a what's effectively a tournament packet, it's going to have the full rules for the game in it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And so basically the way this works is based on the game size, you have to bring a minimum like every piece of terrain is going to have its own data sheet. You have to bring a minimum of so like let's say you're playing a thousand points incursion level. You have to bring at least three data sheets worth of terrain only two like you can't have more than two of any one data sheet you have to spend at least a hundred points on terrain but no more than 150 and yes each of these data sheets has a point value what do those point values look like i can't tell you and that's where this book falls down they reference what a terrain data sheet looks like there's one page that shows you like this is a sample ter- tactical terrain tactical terrain data sheet. That's the only one and they don't show you the other side of it which is important because that tells you what the terrain actually looks like because every piece of terrain has a predefined footprint of what pieces it's made out of and how big it is. And those pieces are only for Games Workshop official terrain and as of right now there's a data sheet pack you can buy that only includes the brand new terrain that they have released with like this edition of the game, mm. which I'm not a fan of. Yeah, it's not great. No, it's not. Um, and so this terrain set, like the, the whole idea of this terrain is it's basically, I hate to say it, but it's a cash grab. It's a chance. It's, it's to encourage players, not just tournament organizers, but players to buy all the new terrain and bring it. But you can only bring the terrain the Games Workshop has released data sheets for. If you already have a huge collection of terrain, or even a, t- a good table's worth of terrain, can't use it with this. Because it's not that terrain. So, this it automatically fails in that regard. Like, yeah. nobody, unless they have been paint- building and painting the, the new Battlefield stuff, will have this terrain. Or, and definitely we'll have it in quantity to, to you know, bring a, uh, you know, half, basically half a table's worth. 
and they give you like all the common train features and everything, but like, oh good, there's woods. You know, it's it's all the same ones from the normal rule book, but there are no data sheets right now for woods, so it doesn't matter. It's like mm-hmm. you can't bring woods because you can't point out woods. Now that said, there's like they've added some new secondary objectives that are tied to controlling pieces of terrain or fighting people on terrain. That's cool. I like it. Um, there's uh, the missions themselves actually specify like this hat, like which half of the table is each player's territory. So that's the area they can deploy terrain in. And there will even be terrain markers on these maps that show you there has to be a piece of terrain set up here. So that's kind of how they're trying to balance this is by saying, okay, for setting up this mission, there has to be terrain here and here. You can have any other terrain within the space, and they give you the guidelines of can't be within, like, three inches of other pieces of terrain, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you've ever gone to an event where you have to, like, you have a terrain there at the table and you set it up yourselves, like the way Renegade Open has done in the past, it, it'll feel very familiar. It's just that you bring the terrain rather than the event providing the terrain. So, on the one hand... I don't hate it. I don't hate the concept of this. I really dislike the the uh, execution because it makes you dependent on buying a bunch of new stuff, which yeah. I think is a bad call. I, I kind of understand that, though, because it is much easier to balance from their perspective for their for their modular terrain and like the stuff that they control. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's ignoring that a large part of this hobby is, are, is people making their own custom terrain. Um, you know, their own custom well, tables. So to, to be devil's advocate there, um, a while ago we made custom figures too. And GW kind of has put a kibosh to that. Yes. And no, they still allow, they allow you to kit bash stuff. They're just not allowing, they're just only putting out data sheets for things that have figures, but they're not requiring you to use those figures. They just want you to make sure that it's roughly the same. Like, and that, that tends to be on an event-by-event event basis. We'll yeah. talk about that in I mean, a second, too. Well, and, and I think the big thing with this is it. I can kind of see what it is. It's an attempt for GW to create a tournament format that is standard and relies on their models, their terrain, their, their, you know, their table layouts, their things like that, which I understand. The problem is, is that the tournament circuit, at least here in the United States – is dominated by ITC and not GW. So they're going to get no, no acceptance of this. Like, it's just not going to, I don't think this will catch on just because so many people that are running tournaments, like for example, the four of us, um, we have large amounts of custom terrain that just won't, won't work for this. Like, so I don't know. I, I, I see what they're trying to do. I just don't expect it'll catch on. I, I think I'd be warmer on this if, like, okay, so the chapter approved pack has basically the same kind of thing in here. It's got a mission packet with a whole bunch of new missions, and then it's got the rules reprinted, and then a second booklet that has, like, all the points for everything in in the game right now. If this had included a little booklet that had, and doesn't have to have all terrain ever, or doesn't even necessarily have to cuss cover custom train necessarily but it doesn't even have anything for like the mini storm 
terrain that came out with like Kill Team a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any of the sec the old Sector Mechanicus terrain. And when I say old, I mean the stuff that came out the year before the Ministorm terrain. So the stuff that's like three or four years old. It doesn't even have any of that. Is it? I mean, technically, it doesn't have anything in it. But the only data sheets they have are for the very brand newest terrain. If they had put out a booklet in included in this that had just like data sheets listed for all that terrain it would at least ha- work with some stuff that is still relatively brand new mm-hmm. you know by comparison to have you know a lot of people like we still have the old cities of death terrain around but it doesn't even have like that newer terrain listed it doesn't have anything so that's why i feel like this book by itself is useless because you don't have the information on the terrain and you have to buy a separate $25 pack of data sheet cards that will only cover one set of the newest terrain. I like, I can't even really fully review this book because I can't tell you what a hundred points worth of terrain gets you. I can't, I just, it's mm-hmm. not there. So it's an incomplete product. That's disappointing. It, it is disappointing. It's like this, it could have been like, we were already sus- like, we were already doubtful on it, whether it would, it was going to work out or not. I think if they had included that in here, and I even emailed them about it, I never got a response. I'm like, is there, should there, it feels like there's something missing here. Should there be something else with this? Because I can't review this without knowing what terrain is going to cost and what the, those points will buy you. But yeah, so um, wait, I would not, I would not buy this right now. And I would, I would not buy this unless they release another booklet or another version of this that includes terrain data sheets. It's like in the past when they released books about here's battles that you can have around terrain. They also included all the rules for that, for those pieces of terrain. So it's like Mm -hmm. that should have been in here. So I find that disappointing. And especially I was also disappointed. Like we didn't get our copy of beyond the veil, which is also apparently shipped late. So none of the stores in our area will have it until Monday at the earliest. So I can't even tell you a preliminary look at that. So that, yeah, that kind of got messed up, but, uh, but we do have Space Marine Codex and Necron Codex, although Necron Codex will be next episode. And then we'll get back to our series about getting back, getting started into the game. But, uh, unless there's more codexes. Oh God, I hope not. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be supplements coming soon. We know that because there has to be for some of these armies, but before we're done with news and new releases, there is one other bit of news. I believe it was, was it last weekend? Yes, yes, it was last, last weekend. weekend that we had uh, the Iron Halo in Oklahoma. Sadly, the first year that we have not sent someone down there. Um, but uh, with things being what they are right now, like I don't f- personally feel safe traveling. But obviously enough people did. They had over 100 players. That is impressive. That is impressive, especially after they announced that they were going to cut the event size by 40%, which tells me they went back on that. Yeah, so I so I'm a little you know involved with some of like the the local Lord Marshal uh, TO chats and stuff like that. And one of the things that happened was they were able to get more space, so they they were able to after they announced they were going to cut the size by forty percent, they were able to find more space and kind of change the land a little bit. So they still had the six feet you know of space around each table, like they still took appropriate precautions. But we're able to 
you know, get access to like a bigger building, a bigger room to have more people and more tables. So, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. As long as, as long, you know, and it, yeah, it sounds like everyone took precautions there and was, were, were masked up and everything. So, yeah, I didn't hear anything about like, cause like at flying monkey, there was a couple instances of somebody like, like got yellow carded for not wearing a mask or things like that. I didn't hear any of that from iron halo, um, or see anything, any issues like when they were streaming for the, you know, for the games that they had. So, yeah, it sounds like the event, from the setup perspective, at least went off kind of without a hitch. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean that the whole event with went off without a hitch. There was a little <laughs> bit of a controversy, shall we say? Yeah. That's probably the right way to say it. <laughs> All right. So here's what here here's the understanding we have of the event. There was a player who traveled to Oklahoma, I believe from Florida who uh when he arrived in Oklahoma realized that he was missing part of his army namely 12 mech guns he was playing orcs and he was apparently expecting a friend to show up with them at some point at least that is that is the understanding that I've been passed whether that's true or not but basically he just could not produce the 12 models that he needed so he either had to play with what he had which i mean he apparently had like a pair of squiggiths at least. Mm-hmm. And like he had, he had some, some big stuff, but he'd forgotten his mech guns. And yeah, it looks like he had a bunch of boys. Cause there's a photo of his cart that he was rolling around. And so he had a plan. And that plan was to acquire a number of beer cozies. And he acquired these beer cozies from other people at the event and then went before the judges and said, okay, can I use these as proxies in place of the units that I don't have here because they're back home in Florida? I have no way to go get them. And I think he, it was understanding that he was going to uh, try to like convert something together in time so he wouldn't have to use these. I've heard, I've heard a couple of different variations mm-hmm. of the story. But in the end, he did end up using the beer cozies as proxies for his mech guns with the with the approval of the event staff and with the understanding that he there was no way, despite the rest of his army being painted, he would not be allowed to get the 10 points for having a fully painted army. He continued to so he played his first three games. And from my understanding, won the, all three of those. But when the third game score was being reported, somebody pointed out that in game two, he scored 92 points, which he literally could not have if he had not, if he could not get the 10 points for having a fully painted army. Based on that, and that he had violated the agreement uh, that he'd made with the event organizers, he took a loss for round three and was given a red card and basically was removed from the event. I have some issues with how this was handled. (laughs) I think we all do. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, first of all, we know from experience because we are not, (laughs) at least one of us is no stranger to not having his army when he arrives in an event. (laughs) Yeah, I did that once, but I was just going to then go home and technically Jason came to our event once and didn't have an army. And then we found something else to, 
I mean, I think he helped judge that year. Yes, he, uh, did. he did. He he helped run like he was. Our, he was like our main judge another year, but uh, right. he, he he yeah he helped out with the event and he did play our Ringer Army for at least. Oh, one that's year. true. He did. Because I think you, Richard, and Jason all played the Ringer Army at one point or other. Right. Right. I think I even played it once against Alex. So it's like I think I think almost all of us played the Ringer Army that year, and so yeah. there was you know and when you missed when you left half of your army at home when we went to, I think it was the first show me showdown. Uh, I think it was the second, but it was a show me showdown. Yes. It was show me showdown. They had a, a, a ringer. Well, was it, was it officially a ringer army? I think it was a, like a display army. They were giving away. Wasn't it? No, it was one of the ringer armies. They, okay, they, well, they actually had multiple ringer armies. Okay. So yeah, but they had a custodes army and they said, well, do you know how to play custodes? And you're like, yeah. And so they offered to let you play it. Yep. Cause I had option of custodes or tyranids. <laughs> I see why you picked custodes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I thought that was just a really unique way to do it. And it took a lot of trust by them because they said, well, we know you, we trust you. And, and he did come by and watch to make sure I wasn't doing anything crazy with his minis. Well, yeah. That, and I think that's fair. Yeah, totally. And no, it was a, I don't want to say it was a nice gesture. And, and that was a way to handle not having your army. I, I will Admit though, I'm not high on the competitive scene, and I, I can be probably. If you were a high competitive player, you want to have played an army, tested an army, and playing a ringer army might not suffice. But like we said, if you forgot your army, at least here's a way you can still be involved. Right. So the the fact is, there's a basic guideline of things you are supposed to bring with you when you go to an event. Dice, measuring, you know, or measuring tape, your army list, your codex or and any other rule books containing rules you need. I mean, that's pretty much standard. Oh, and your freaking army. You should have that. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of that's kind of key. You should check that and double check that. Um, if you do not bring your army to an event, I don't care how far you traveled. That's on you for not bringing it. Yeah. If somebody showed up at LVO and did not bring half of their army, I have a feeling the judges would not allow you to play. Yeah. Or if you played, you would be playing down those models. I mean, that's like, that's just the standard. Yeah. And there there are extenuating circumstances and like times where you can, you know, be flexible on that. Like I, I think the first year that we went to Renegade Open one of the members of the the Frozen North community literally had his army stolen from his car like two days before the event. So they were like, they let him play with uh, unpainted models. And I think he had a few proxies in his list because he had his army stolen a few days. But like he went out and he worked with the TOs. He, you know, they agreed on what he could do. And then he followed those rules. So, you know, I, I think. TOs have a responsibility to, you know, to make sure that everyone can play and that everyone has an option, but they also have to enforce the rules and the rules are, you know, and, you know, you have to bring painted army. You have to have, you have to bring your army. Like it's, yeah, there's other options they could have done because, and I, this is probably the next thing you're going to talk about last year at Iron Halo, there was another issue with another player who had heavily converted models that 
were decided to not ref- accurately accurately reflect um, what the models they were supposed to be. So they they pulled those models off the table um, and you know and made that player play down those models. And I think eventually he dropped. Like that was also an option. Okay, you forgot these twelve mech guns. You can play. You're going to be down those twelve models until you can come up with suitable proxies or replacements or something like that also could have been an option. And granted 12 mech guns, losing 12 mech guns is probably going to gut your list, but you're the one who forgot your models. So I I don't Mm -hmm. have a ton of sympathy. Like I, I I sympathize because that sucks traveling that far to not get to play an event sucks. But yeah, there's, (laughs) it's also some player responsibility there too. Yeah, and you know, f- after you know the, the the check on what is and isn't an appropriate proxy or stand-in or counts as for a model was kicked off, you know, a year or two ago by the 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 turtle rider incident, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you know somebody brought basically cheap little toys and said, "Oh yeah, no, these count as this this model," and it caused enough of an uproar in the 40 K scene that events suddenly got very strict and we were no exception. Like if you want to use a conversion or accounts as you have to send it to us to get approved. If you don't, and we find out you're playing with one and you know, you will have those models pulled from the table and you'll get carded. And so it's like, I understand like the TOs are wanting to be nice guys in this case. Like this is something like I, I can't go back and get my army because it's a thousand miles away. I don't, I'll see what I can do, but I don't know if I can replace these models. Can I use proxies? Okay, fine. Uh, You know, it's like, I I do, I would not unless I would, if somebody, okay, I would allow someone to use proxies if they're actually like 40 K models. Mm hmm. But again, with the understanding, like, you don't get the 10 points for Painted Army because this is not, you know, you're basically bringing, using unapproved proxies until the last minute or something like that. I just, this just seems counter to all bits of tournament etiquette that have been set up over the last few years. Yeah. And then to have the player go ahead and get the points for Fully Painted Army knowing that he's been specifically told not to do so, they were right to red card him. I'll give them that. Absolutely. Yeah. That part is totally, I think we all agree on that part. Yeah. But I disagree that he should have been allowed to play with those, those particular stand-ins. Especially, like you said, after last year when somebody did bring models, but they weren't, they weren't considered WYSIWYG. So they got pulled like this, that should have been the same policy this year. It's like, I'm sorry you didn't bring your models, but to be fair to anybody else, I can't, you know, it's like either the rules apply to everybody or they don't. And there's some discussion that because the player is from a team that uh, titled at LVO this year, that it may have been special dispensation. I can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It may um, Knowing Jason and the crew that runs Iron Halo, my guess is they probably just wanted to be nice. Yeah, yeah, there are uh, a lot of nice guys. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily favoritism, but I, 
I do think that there's a time to be nice and there's a time to be firm. And this was the latter. And I don't think that I don't think they made the right call. It yeah. was fixed in the end by red carding him for breaking the rules. But, but it shouldn't after, have gotten to that point. After two victories, like two players got knocked out of, you know, knocked out of contention for the tournament. And maybe they would have wouldn't have won those you know games against other opponents. But two other players. Yeah. yeah. Two other players got knocked out of contention by a, effectively an illegal army. And that's not fair to them. It's not fair to the field. Right. Um, that's that's the biggest concern. If you're going to run. You know, I am I am very much on the side of like play with proxies, play with models and stuff like that. If you want to, when you're playing games with your friends or when you're playing casually, like that's the fun of this game is playing with those new models and testing them out and seeing what you want to do. But if you're playing in a competitive event, you have to be fair to everybody in the event. Like the rules have to be the same for everybody. And if I, you know, if I was playing an iron halo and I'd submitted a request a week earlier that said, Hey, uh, my rhinos, you know, I, I something happened. I couldn't get my rhinos painted. Is it okay if I use these beer koozies as proxies? They'd have told me no, no freaking way. So, yeah, it doesn't. The rules can't change. You know, when uh, you know, just because of just because of circumstances, unless it's like really extraneous circumstances. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it doesn't seem like it's fair to everyone involved with the, with the event, which sucks. Yeah. That said, though, um, congratulations to John Lennon with, for winning with White Scars. Yep. And to Ben Sherwin for taking second with Black Templars. And, I mean, looking at his list, it looks like a Black Templars army. It's got Helbrecht, a Chaplain, Assault Intercessors, Aggressors, Blade Guard Veterans, Cenobite Servitors, <laughs> uh, you know, Eradicator Squad. I mean, it, like, these aren't, like... I don't see these as like cheesy lists. It's like that looks like a Black Templars list. Uh, Ryan Snyder took uh, third place as custodes. Also, want to give a shout out to someone who's been on the show before. John Champ, our friend, took tenth with uh, Admech. Nice. So nice. Yeah. So uh, shout out to all those people involved. And uh, you know, it sounds like other than this, it was a good event. But yeah, this has obviously gotten a lot of attention, and I do think it is something that's worthy of discussion. That's like, yeah, this. Hopefully this will not happen again. Other events will take a look at this and be be more firm on the rules. So I, I will and, I will say we left out the most important one. What's the most important one? Who got the spoon? Uh, I don't think we have a list. Oh, I mean, I could check the ITC listings <laughs> for it, but I don't think anybody's been writing articles about who got dead last. Right. <laughs> um, I will say this as well, though. Like one thing that I've always been impressed with with Iron Halo is the the support they do for you know on the rock ministries and and the local community and i'm really glad that they were able to continue doing that i know that they end up you know like in years past they end up giving like flat donations as well as like letting the 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 ministries like sell merchandise and food and and donations and stuff so they they always do a great job helping out the community and i'm glad that was able to continue this year mhm yeah so uh, yeah, it's I, I'm I am glad that they were able to to have this event. And yeah, apparently they did uh, COVID. They even did temperature checks at the door on every oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they they took it very seriously. And also, apparently their 
their area in Oklahoma is, has a very low case count, so it's unlikely for people to get it in the area. So, but still, like I, when you have that many people traveling who might be traveling from places that are not so low case count, uh, you know, an abundance of caution is necessary. And it does sound like they, they did do that. And so I'm glad, yeah, they were able to continue to have the event and to continue to support the charities that they support. So hopefully next year we'll be able to return. I would like to. I want to. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens next year. But uh, hopefully we'll just miss the one. And I think that pretty much covers our news and new releases. So let's get over to that listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And uh, when we're done, we'll tell you how you can get your letter read on the air. Uh, first off, we have a comment from Chad Allen Nichols in response to some feedback we gave in a previous episode on how to run uh, Legion of the Damned using uh, Space Marine rules. Um, so, like, what successor chapter or, or, like, what traits would you use to play Legion of the Damned? And Chad writes, uh, Hi, gang. I was listening to your Chaos episode and wanted to address the writer that wanted to run Legion of the Damned. He could use the Thousand Suns Rubik Marine rules, as, if I recall correctly, Legion of the Damned had an invulnerable save and some warp fire shenanigans on their bolters, much like Thousand Suns do. It doesn't really help with the deep strike ability, but it's a thought. Keep up the good work and good gaming. So that's a, that would be an interesting twist on it. Play Filthy Chaos. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, because, like, the Rubik Marines have the ability that the entire squad can take the flamers. Um, and I believe they have a heavy flamer or is it just the, is that they only have the rotor cannon as the heavy weapon? I think they just have the rotor cannon and um, possibly okay. a miss or no, it's the terminators have the missile rack. So yeah. Uh, okay. Um, anyway, well, I should probably have the rules up, but I'm, but I don't, um, <laughs> but yeah, like that, that could certainly work. They have uh, a really good invulnerable saves and, you know, a lot of access to a lot of flame weapons. So Thousand Suns would absolutely work. The the aspiring sorcerer is a little bit of a weirdness in there, but it would give you I think it would give it'd be closer to giving you the feel of old school Legion of the Damned. However, in our second half, we will mention why there may be a way to play Legion of the Damned in the future. Right. Uh the other thing I guess for the deep strike ability is you could probably take a Nullith crown and have them come in that way. And at oh, least right. be, you know, at least have them arrive differently than they would normally. So that gives you some can they, flexibility. Can they take, or I guess it'd, it'd be a, it'd be a heretic. Is it a heretic Astartes or is it, because uh, the, the Noctilith crown is in the Chaos Space Marine Codex. So it's, I mean, it's a fortification. It'd be its own detachment. It would cost you a CP to take it if it didn't match, but right. theoretically it would work. I mean, you could you could take it. It's not a. Yeah, I don't see it listed in Battle Scribe under Thousand Suns. Yeah, so it's it, it is. I think a, you'd have to take a yeah. So you'd you'd lose a CP to do that, but and that's not a huge deal. But if you're if you're also taking again, if you're trying to play Legion of the Dam in your proxy, you know, and using other Codex rules for it, I don't know that you're super concerned about <laughs> fair <laughs> fair about points efficiency and things like that. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so the the Soul Reaper Cannon of the Warp Flamer. So yeah, they don't have the ability to take like a heavy flamer. Yeah, but I still that's fine. That they can't take an icon of flame though. They um, could, yeah. Start of your psychic phase, roll D six for each unit with an icon of flame on a six, inflict one mortal wound to the closest enemy within twelve inches of the model carrying an icon of flame. So hmm. Yeah, a thousand suns could also work. But I, I think unfortunately it's like every option we're looking at gets you 
part of the way there. Yeah, yeah they, they all the get you a little bit of Legion of the Damned, but not all the way. All right, next up, we have a letter from friend of the show and uh, previous guest, Alex Hunt, and personal friend, by the way. Uh, mm. Alex writes, greeting to my favorite opponents. So in the recent two episodes, you have spoken a lot about the hobby, either by mail questions or by your own discussions, and I wanted to do some responses back. This is the most inefficient message board ever, but I digress. To the colorblind players out there worried about painting scores and tournaments, I'll put on my judge's hat momentarily. Sorry, lots of dust on this one. As lots as there as long as there is effort put into an army, I really forego the three color minimum requirement. You can do a lot with paints, paint shades, tones, etc. And I feel that the three color minimum is there as a bare minimum to put something concrete on a medium that is very abstract. As a judge, you can tell when a person has put time, effort, and energy into an army and when someone is just being lazy or last minute addition to a force. I'm just as guilty as the latter. My advice is to not stress about it and uh, just make sure you have put effort into your army. If you are proud of it, then that's likely good enough. And as these fine gents, minus Kevin, of course, reading the letter pointed out, asking another person in the community or club can really help out. Or find someone who has great looking armies or models and ask them. Getting feedback or some ideas of additions you can make can and will make all the difference in the quality you put onto the model. Kevin, you seem to be personally targeted. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to... I, I think we should resend the personal friend thing, but let's get to the end and see what happens. <laughs> As for the point of pre-painted models discussion, hoo boy, there's so much there. Good stuff, too. You all really hit a lot of talking points I was nodding along with. One thing that was absent that I wanted to chime in with was board games and pre-painted models. I've been seeing a lot of games moving in the opposite direction, actually. With the advent of more things getting 3D printed or resin casting, kickstarted box games, I've been experiencing a lot of gray resin in various new games. A game like Nemesis, Dark Souls, Zombicide, Gloomhaven, Scythe, etc. It allows for people to put their own spin on the model. That could be a main focus of the game, to be as creepy or cool as they want it. It's much cheaper cheaper and easier to push out unpainted resin models than trying to get pre-painted plastic out to a general audience. Say what you will with the D&D miniatures out there from WizKids, but they allow for players to add flair to their own mini or monsters without needing to get pre-painted plastic figures figured out first. Anyway, lastly, commenting on the 10 extra points for a painted army, there's another side to with it that does come at an advantage slash disadvantage. If you go to an RTT to test out an army or unit, you typically go with a proxy or unpainted model to get a feel for models in the crucible of battle. However, with that does come with the good and the bad. For players wanting to test, myself included, you run the risk of losing these points just because you wanted to see how models hold up in a small-scale tournament. On the other side of the coin, you can go to a tournament with less than three color to play in games more easily, letting you go in with less barrier to entry. I still support GTs pulling unpainted or less than painted models, as it's a higher level of play. Do you feel that the 10 points should be dropped for RTTs or pickup games? So, some thoughts for the general audience and you fine gents. I'm always excited to hear any thoughts and responses of these posts. Hope you are all safe and well in these times, and I miss enjoying rolling dice and laughing with you guys. Here's to more games in 2021 and beyond. As always, your friend, Alex Hunt. P.S. Kevin is an alright guy, I guess. I just want, I just like to give you a, I just like to give him a hard time. Love you, Kevin. Do you forgive him? Still on thin ice. <laughs> hey, he's from Minnesota. He's used to being on ice. Exactly. So it shouldn't be a problem. But right. just, just know, Alex, you're on thin ice. You know, watching you. Um, I think we kind of talked a little bit uh, We uh, when we talked about, like, kickstarted games, Richard. I specifically remembering you bring up uh, Sedition Wars. And yeah. I think that kind of mm-hmm. falls in that gray resin model range. Right. Exactly. That, that, was, that was something that... I, I thought was 
was really interesting that, you know, that board games seem to be moving in that direction a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially kickstarted games. That tends to be like one of the big, uh, uh, like stretch goal things is, oh, look at all these cool extra minis we can add to the game if you if we sell enough copies ahead of time. Right. But it's also led to games where it tend it sometimes is more about the spectacle of the huge minis they include in it and less about the actual gameplay. So that is also a double edged sword. Right. Yeah. Well, and like speaking from a little bit of personal experience with like the 3D printer printing and stuff, like it is really nice to be able to like create and print and and like put you know produce your own things. But yeah, like it's all unpainted. Like it's it's a lot cheaper for me to print off plastic miniatures for a game fight if I need to. Like I've done that for a couple of like D and D miniatures, but yeah, like it's all unpainted. So you have to, you know, there, there's that cost trade off, like having, you know, I can spend, you know, the equivalent of a few dollars in plastic in the time to 3d print something that I have to like do all of the cleanup and all of the painting and stuff on it. Or I can just go spend extra money on the pre-painted. So it's uh yeah, it's just an interesting place where the game, where a lot of these games are at right now. Mm-hmm. And now you even have services like Hero Forge, which are offering pre-painted plastic models made custom order, mm-hmm. like through an online app. They they print them in colored plastic. Yeah, and, and I will say I picked up a few of the uh, oh the the D and D pre-primed minis, and, and they're actually really pretty high quality minis yeah they They, look really really good good. yeah they are yeah and they have a huge selection of those now like you can go like any gaming store that carries a decent range of them they'll have a huge section of wall and like all kinds of different characters and like different different uh dnd races different genders uh lots of multiple poses and the pricing on them is really good too because it's usually what like four or five bucks for two models yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and being pre-primed means you can just buy them and some paints and go. And so, yeah, I, I, I think, pre, you know, I think pre-primed models might be a better alternative than pre-painted because if you yeah. could take assembly and priming out of it, I think that would speed up painting process for a lot of people, especially if you had them primed in a very light color so you could just apply contrast to them and go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he does bring up some interesting points on the whole. We just had a discussion about, you know, whether you should get points for a painted army or not, uh, as far as the proxy thing. On the one hand, I definitely could see why if you're just testing something out at a small tournament, um, that you like losing those 10 points could be the difference between a win or a loss. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you're just giving a new unit a spin, um, I don't think it should apply to pickup games. Like I pick up games or any casual game like that, or just something that is known to be a practice game, either just both players can only cap at 90 or maybe give both players the extra 10 points with however you want to handle it. Unless you just feel really bad about your opponent that you're stomping, right? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm glad I, I'm glad you gave me those 10 points. It didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Come on, get, get good, new. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, that one was just too easy. No, it was. Uh, So was that game for you, but that's beside the point. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I definitely don't think the, the 10 points should be a concern when you're playing pickup games. I think players can agree to either give you the 10 points or cap at 90 or whatever. In an RTT, it's, I guess it's just a little bit more up to the, uh, it's a little more up to the TO and like what they're wanting to do. Like if this is a, if you're doing like an escalation league or something like that and you're, you know, and your RTT is kind of the capstone of it and you're trying to get people to paint and like build armies, you know, starting out like in a new store, starting a, you know, a new community and stuff like that. I can certainly understand wanting to include that 10 point reward for people who did follow the process and completely, uh, complete, have completely painted armies. So it, but if it's just like your monthly, like, Hey, we do a, you know, a 12 person RTT at the store every month and it's always the same people. And yeah, somebody wants to try something new. I think it just, I think it's just situational. Like, I think just check with your TO. Um, TO should have a lot of flexibility in that regard. GT level events and things like that are like bigger events. No, I think it needs to be consistent. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, cause that, at that point, like Alex says, you know, you're playing at a different level then. So you, you yeah. need to be bringing a fully painted army. Um, but yeah, I, I think for, and, and like in the past we've used, you know, before there was even like a painting score rolled into your event score, we used that as like a tiebreaker. Like if you have two players who are ranked identically, who has more of their army painted that we, you know, that yeah. we basically gave them like a half point. And so this would, could serve the same purpose in a, in a more relaxed RTT. But yeah, definitely. I think if, if it's clear that it's a practice game, um, or, or just a pickup game. Yeah. I think you can agree to not have that in place. If you go to an RTT though, I would kind of say like, if they have, if they're saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to require strict paint. Like we're going to give the 10 points based on painting. You can use an unpainted model, but you're going to lose points. If you, if you do, I think you just kind of have to take that on the chin. Yeah. You know, if that, if that's what they've, the standard that they've set. All right, next letter is from Clay Sudrath and catches something we missed last it. <laughs> An episode back. Uh, it wasn't a mistake we made. It was a mistake GW made. No, no, it's it's absolutely a mistake we made. We don't know. We we don't make mistakes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to call you on that one, sir. <laughs> no, no, that sounds like a mistake, and I don't. And we don't make those. Anyway, sorry. Go on. <laughs> How about we made an omission? Ah, that's better. I like that. Okay. Okay. I like we goofed. <laughs> goofed. We goofed. We goofed. So, from Clay Sudrath. Greetings, friends. I'd like to let you know you missed something. The Storm Shield changes are, in fact, a straight buff to Custodes. When I found out that the Storm Shield changes were applying to all Storm Shields, I initially drew the same con- conclusion you did. Well, the Invuln save gets worse, but I ignore the first, first point of AP, so I suppose that's better for armies trying to kill me with volume of fire. Then I had a moment of inspiration and rushed to my bookshelf. I direct you to page 72 of the Custodes Codex. Of the rules you gain when running pure Custodes, we are interested in the Emperor's Chosen. This unit's invulnerable save is increased by 1 to a maximum of 3 up. This means that a Custodian with a Storm Shield and a Mono Custodes army will have a 2 up, 3 up, or 2 up armor, 3 up invulnerable, and plus 1 to armor saves. I love it. I checked both the FAQs for this, the Codex, and War of the Spider. This works. I'm going to insert a note here and say um, that is absolutely an oversight of ours. My brain remembered that rule, but for some reason I thought it capped at four, not three. Here's my take on it, uh, and this is why I forgot about it. We were so used to, oh, they already have a three up, so storm shields don't really do anything for you. And that storm shields don't do anything 
extra for you is what's stuck in my head. That's why I totally forgot that, oh, yeah, if they move to four up, the storm shield goes down. Oh, yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. glad you pointed this out to us because my mind hadn't gone there yet. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like on the tip of our brain, but we didn't quite make the leap. Oh, it wasn't even on the tip of my brain. It was like lodged in there of like, oh, it doesn't matter. And it was covered. We had to unbury it. Yep, pretty much. Also, it doesn't help that I don't actually have a physical custodes codex anymore because I gave it away when we raffled off a custodes army. So I'm like, I don't have a physical book to check. Likely story. Yeah, and it's it's twoo. It's twoo. <laughs> anyway, carrying on. Uh, I am loving my new Golden Boys in the 500 to 1,000 point games I've been playing. I'm running Shadow Keepers. I liked them before they got one of the best stratagems in War of the Spider and have my own bit of lore for a sub-shield host that... Re- that represents the specific army I put on the table. If Shadow Keepers are the ones that maintain watch over the hushed vaults of forbidden relics and ancient horrors, who goes out and brings in all those terrible things in the first place? That's my Shadow Seekers. I think of them as an SCP mobile task force type of team, sent out to find specific threats and destroy or contain and bring them back. And they have no qualms about destroying anything in their way. I like it. I'm ready to expand them and would appreciate your suggestions. I currently have nine standard guardians, six with storm, uh, six with swords and storm shields, three with spears, one guardian with a Vexillus, three Sagittarium guard, three to be printed by a friend because they've been out of stock on Forge World for the entire calendar year, as far as I've seen. And I think that's fair when a piece is out of stock for that long. You do what you can. Three Alaris Terminators, one shield captain on a Don Eagle bike, two other bikers. My next purchase will be more Don Eagle bikes. There's a minimum of three in a squad, so that'll let me field the two that I currently have. I also expect that I will want more Terminators. I'm thinking that I'll want more than three to bully the middle of the board before I use Unleash the Lion stratagem to send them running everywhere to give my opponent massive target priority issues. After this, what do you suggest? Would any more infantry be advisable, or should I go after those amazing Forge World dreadnoughts and vehicles? I'd be open to Imperial Agents as long as it's some someone that doesn't break the bonuses for running pure custodes. Do I just take the easy choice and get a Telemon dreadnought? As always, thanks. thank you for all that you guys are doing to keep the quality content coming. Play Sudrith. Well, Kev, I guess we can start with the dreadnought talk. Those dreadnoughts look amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know. So the Telemon dreadnought is is one that I would suggest taking because it provides long range fire support that you don't really have with your infantry. The other two, they are very interesting, but like, I don't think the rules are like particularly super good for them. Um, so I think they're kind of take it or leave it. Um, the, the other thing is that you also have the relic, uh, contemptor dreadnought, you know, the plastic version you can take, but it's limited to the multi-melta or the, uh, auto cannon. So it's also like a, an option, but not like a great option. Like I would probably in the case of the contemptor dreadnoughts, probably just take more infantry. Cause I think the points kind of work out better. Um, but the Telemann dreadnought is good because you do have the ability to add in long range fire support. Yeah. I will echo what Kevin said about the Telemann. Um, I will say the other dreadnoughts, they might not be optimal, but if you like the looks of them, they, they look super they're, cool. they're super cool. They're super po- Well, I'm using air quotes on the superposable, um, cause you have to know how to, how to work them together to make yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> each like elbow joint forearm upper arm are all separate pieces so uh no the so telemon if you want efficiency on those others if you just like the looks um as for extra characters just to add in um i'll, I'll go from the the bottom up inquisition 
eh, if you really want to put some psychic in the army, maybe because they won't break it. But none of them really, I think, help out custodes very well. Yeah. Um, the next one would be um, the sister of battle and her Harlequin friend. They're also a maybe. They won't break your army, but I don't know that they really provide do anything you can't already do. But the one I will say is awesome will be Valerian and Aleia. Yeah. Oh, the the shield captain and sister of silence. Yes, because I mean the shield captain is well, he's the shield captain. I I think you take this more for having Aleia and the. Part when the party, wow, in the army, <laughs> because you have to deploy the two of them together. But after or not together, you have when they get deployed, you can set them up wherever, and then they become their own units. And her ability is well; she's a sister of silence, so she has that eighteen-inch null psychic bubble, mm-hmm. and or makes deny the witch harder. Um, and that's big, and she can't be targeted by other people because if you stick her by some shield um, guardian or the shield custodes and whatnot, she can't be targeted. And so you have a protected bubble of psychics harder. Um, so I really, really like that. And I mean, she's not going to be as good as your custodes in in combat, but she's not a slouch either. And she's got four wounds, so. If she does get into some trouble, she should survive a little bit until you get some other help over to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you could also just look at adding, you know, Sisters of Silent squads since they can fit into this army without even being a problem. I will totally agree with that, which makes it more of a Talons of the Emperor army, which I'm planning on running on my stuff. But I will say a squad of um, just Sisters of Silence will die a lot easier than other things because of the... Yeah low toughness. I don't want to say low armor because they've got decent armor, but it's compared to custodes. It's low armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they are definitely another option to take that, especially if you are going in the fluff of, Hey, this army is going after dangerous relics. There might be psychic stuff around here. Maybe having a squad, or I guess you have to take three, um, three small squads of sisters as a auxiliary support that you can toss in or they can call up whenever they have, psychic things that they know they're going to be heading after. Yeah. Or, or another option would be an assassin, like a Calexus assassin would be mm-hmm. true. Uh, would give you kind of a similar effect and also be very effective in combat and hard to kill. So yeah, there's a number of good options. Also, um, while the Telamon is not currently in stock, uh, although one of its arms is, not that right, much yeah. help there, like, but uh, there is also like Caladius grav tanks would be an option. And grav tanks were huge for a while. Yeah, the um, weapons got toned down, which is why they aren't as big now. Right, right, which they needed to be. Um, yeah, those are those are cool. The grav tanks are cool looking models. Like, so you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, tell somebody not to buy them. Like, I think they look cool and I think they add, add a different feel to the army. Um, I don't know how efficient they will be in smaller games. Cause I don't really know offhand sure. what the points are. So I would, I would kind of probably lean more towards adding more Aloris term uh, custodians or maybe even uh, custodian wardens 
Because I think you've got you could still get you've still some places you can go with infantry units. Um, where I don't feel you've reached like a saturation point. No. Um. So I yeah I I think you I I think you would be fine adding in like some more terminators or more of the the wardens as well to 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 add, to pad this out in addition to you know maybe one of the graph tanks or maybe a, a term uh dreadnought. Yeah, I'll echo Kevin on that. Except I'll say I would recommend the term Alaris Alaris terminators over the um, wardens just because. You can have the same weaponry and the Terminators seem to have better stratagems and you can either deep strike or like he said, the um, um, breaking apart the unit into Mm -hmm. four smaller units where they can actually put a lot of pressure on like table quarters and whatnot. Yeah, that is that is a very nice thing with the Terminators. You have the ability to like spread them out and break them off into different units. The one thing I'll say with the Wardens, though, is if you run into, and granted, at a 500,000 points, you maybe won't run into many Hordes, but Custodian Wardens will just, like, blow through Horde units, because they get a a number of attacks, and they're basically just regular Custodians, but with an additional attack, and the the ability to take Axes or the Guardian Spears... Yeah, and I would hold off anyway on buying anything from Forge World until the updated Forge World Army rules come out, like the the new index that they're releasing for them, because like you might find that the Telamon is not as good as a deal as it could be, or maybe it's better now, or maybe the Caladius is ends up being a better choice or not a better choice. But I wouldn't. Right now, you're kind of buying them sight unseen, and so maybe the Orion will be awesome. Doubtful, but I didn't want to. But one can hope. One can. I hope. will. <laughs> but yeah, in in the meantime, yeah, it sounds like you can't go wrong with more infantry right now. No. And and yeah, and even throwing in maybe one of those infantry is an assassin or is a special character. I think those would all they're they're all good choices. And then our final letter is from Will. Will writes, uh, Hey, hope you are all well. Hoping to pick your brains over the Forge World Blood Slaughter of Corn model. If any of you have any specifically about base sizes, as it's one of those models that still doesn't seem to come with a base, and so is a bit ambiguous for gaming with. I've seen a few examples of people putting them on flyer bases, the 120 by 90 millimeter oval ones, but some other examples seem to be on much bigger and much smaller round bases, and I don't want to model mine for advantage, even though I know there is no official answer for the right size. Do any of you have these models on bases, and what would be your thinking if I brought one or more of these to a tournament? I've included a few conflicting example picks I've found so you can see where my confusion is coming from. Hopefully you can apply some logic and when my opponent complains, I can blame you guys. Cheers, Will from the UK. <laughs> well, thanks, Will, for putting us on the spot for you. But uh, no, we'll help. So, of, of course, I have these models because, uh, of course, I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't come with a base. Like, when you order them from Forge World, there is no base included. Uh, they are from... An older era where vehicles, regardless of what they actually looked like, didn't have bases. I put mine on the 120 by 90 fl- mil flyer oval bases. Um, you do see in, uh, and granted, the listeners won't see, but in the pictures that he provided, there is one that's on kind of the oval base. The arms hang out over the edge of the base, but I don't think that's a problem because that happens with the... Um, Mauler Fiend and uh, Forge Fiend as well, 
and they're on those oval bases. So I that's the one I would use, and the justification is that it, this is a similar size demon engine to the Mauler Fiend, so it should be on a similar sized base. Um, I don't think the 120 mil or the 130 mil round base will be big enough. Like I don't think it's. I, I don't think it would look right. I don't know if it would like fit on the one how it would fit on a 160 mil round base because uh, that kind of seems to be the next size up. But I think that might be too huge. Big. Yeah, yeah. One, like the 160 is damn near like I think that's the one I put the Townar on. It's yeah, or maybe that's the 180. No, that might be the 180. The 160 yeah. is still, but the 160 is still pretty big. So like I I think the only option really that that makes sense is the the 120. Um, I mean maybe the 130 would work, but I I, I don't know. It's I've seen them mostly on 120 bases, and I think that works, and that's consistent with what's in what other similar units are on. So that that would be my recommendation. Yeah, it looks like they're one of the pictures. I can't tell if those are supposed to be 60 or 80 mil rounds. There's like a trio of them that are unpainted. Yeah, yeah, those are too small. I think those might be. I think those are the uh, those are probably the 80 mil rounds, and those are too small. Yeah. But yeah, if the model is on par with a, a Forge Fiend or Mauler Fiend, yeah, that, then putting it on the same kind of base makes sense. And yeah, there is no official guideline for this. This isn't like Age of Sigmar where they've released a document that says, oh yeah, all these models are on these size bases no matter what. Be nice, but well, they haven't done that. And yeah, it's this is a model from the age when like defilers still have no bases mm-hmm. for reasons. And and I think at, at the time, they just they didn't make a base large enough for the Defiler. Now they do. The thing I would just say is that if anybody has questions, you know, or issues with the base, like, obviously check with your TO. They'll, yes. you know, they'll, they'll tell you whether that base works or not. But, um, you know, measure from the hole is typically what, what you do. Like, in the case of, like, uh, you know, the Defiler that isn't on a base, you measure, you measure to the hole and, like, the nearest point. So... If it's if you put it on a base that appears to be too small, then measure, you know, try to measure from the hole when you can. Or if it's on a base that you think might be a little bit too big, just agree to be like, okay, I'll measure it to the hole, not to the base. Um, and I think you'll I think that'll solve most disagreements. Yeah, absolutely. Also, just for funsies, I checked on the Games Workshop site. And uh, unfortunately, the Mahler Fiend kit does not tell you in their description what size base. They just say a large oval base. Yeah, it's it's the flyer base. I mean, right? Cause I, yeah, cause I, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they say what size base it is. This is not one of those cases. Yeah, <laughs> you can get those ninety mil oval bases separately without too much trouble. Yeah, yeah. Because I was checking on the on the GW site for like what bases they have in stock right now and and I think they've got the ones the definitely the ones that you would need so yeah okay yeah if well if it fits on a 120 by 90 it would fit on a 130 round but I think that would that starts to get a bit too large mhm and yeah, you don't you don't yeah. need the the 170 by 105 obviously uh, that's way too big yeah yeah and yeah and I think the 160 there is what I put the townar on so that's that would be way too big. Okay. So I think the one, okay. So the, the 130 might be too big. I think I was looking at the 80 mil that I was looking at that that was just going to be too small. Yeah. The 80, the yeah. 80s would be pushing it. And the 80s still a good size base. That's what a Redemptor is on. But, mm. but yeah, I but think just the, I, the shape of the model with it being 
longer, I think it needs to be on an oval base. Yeah, so 120 by 92 would be absolutely fine. And if you have a question for us, whether it's how do I model this, how do I paint this, or why did you get the rules wrong, or how would you rep- how would you do this, or uh, how to, or whether you have commentary on something we've we've said before, or just a, a rules question, or personal uh, shots at me, or what, or personal shots at a host. Yeah, you know, if you want to, if you want <laughs> to, if you want to shout at Kevin for, you know. Any reason. There's no I wouldn't I didn't want to say for no good reason because there's never a bad reason to shout at Kevin. That's fair. But, <laughs> but if you if you ever want to write to us, there's three good ways you can write to us and get your letter read on the air. Uh the first is our email addresses, and you can email us at our first names at preferred enemies. So that's Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Uh second is uh Facebook. We are at Facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh you can like us there, follow us, and message us. Uh, third is on Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy, singular. And we take messages and comments from all three of those, compile them together, throw them in the hopper, and try to get through as many as we can in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, in addition, if you want to help support the show, we do have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies to help support the show. Uh, right now, we are doing fine on funding for hosting and travel expenses because we're not traveling anywhere. Uh, we're All our equipment is up to date. So really, we're doing fine. If there are uh, charities or services in your area that could use your financial support, we urge you strongly to look at supporting those first. But if you do want to go ahead and support us, uh, we don't put any of our shows behind a paywall. It's basically just an online tip jar. And if you want to help out, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people do that. It does help out. And it does, as I said, it does pay for the show's hosting and such. So we do get a tangible benefit from you helping us out. And so we do appreciate that. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to look at the first of the new codexes for 9th edition, Space Marines. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, 
Just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. That means it's time for our main topic, which is getting into the brand new Space Marine Codex. This book is, I believe, up for pre-order for $50. And uh, they have changed up the format to fit the new look of 9th edition. One thing they don't do as much in this book, they, they do a little bit of it, but like in the fluff section, they don't dig as hard into like pages and pages for all the individual units. They But instead they have like sections about like battle companies and reserve companies and chapter command. And they, they call out some of the units, but also this book has so many data sheets that you could just spend pay, you could spend a good chunk of the book discussing every possible data sheet in here or you know fluff wise but instead they've you know they've got a little bit of coverage of like individual war zones they talk about the scout company and how that also applies to, like the various vanguard primaris squads uh they break things down like the reclusium for chaplains the apothecarian the librarius the armory which includes tech marines and servitors and dreadnoughts and battle tanks and uh, then they talk about uh, the various founding chapters, so like Ultramarines, and then like here's two pages of Ultramarine uh, successors, and here's the Imperial Fists, and uh, Blood Angels, White Scars, Dark Angels. So yes, I mean, even fluff-wise, these are rolled into the main book. Even Space Wolves and a sidebar about the Curse of the Wolfen, Salamanders, Iron Hands, Death Watch gets a, a two-page spread of fluff. Uh, another like four pages of successor chapters for different non-Ultramarines chapters, and then even a two-page spread of unknown founding successor chapters, which include things like the Blood Ravens, the Red Scorpions, the Minotaurs, and Karcharodons. So, like, Forge World-specific chapters are are referenced here. Nice. Um, one th- they've got a few pages of, like, fiction... And then they, they get into, like, army pictures and showing, like, squad markings and different vehicle company markings and how different forces denote different uh, companies and, and ranks and, and, like, squad types. One thing they don't have in this book anymore is the old school uh, timeline. They, they don't do the timeline anymore, fluff-wise, which is, like, interesting. But, yeah, it just shows that they are completely... They're more focused on this is how this army play like is exists now. Like we're starting from this point forward to discuss it. Like the past is all there, but we're not going to fixate on it. We're going to focus on what how the army plays right now. And then we get into the, the actual rules section and the rules section is I, I'm just going to put this out there. And while we have one copy of this, I was able to provide scans to everybody else to look at so they can review it. The rules section is better organized than it ever has been. Like the very first, like one of the very first pages you get is the table of contents for just the rules section and how it's broken down and what each of those sections means. 
So like, here's the detachment abilities page. Here's the pages for upgrading character models to be chapter command. Here's all the stratagem pages. And they've got it broken up. Like, these are the Battleforge rules. Here are the army rules. Here are the matched play rules. Here are the crusade rules. Here are all the data sheets. Here's all the war gear profiles. Here's your point section. And then a rules reference, which includes a reference page that has summary versions of all the rules that you've read up to that point. So this codex is easily the best organized they've ever done. And it's fantastic. Uh, they, they also even do show like this is a combat patrol. Here's a sample combat patrol army that is made with the Elite Edition starter set. Boy, I feel like we called that. Hmm. Hmm. With the one edition of the Invader ATV. Sure. Yeah. I'm um, getting to detachment abilities. Gone are the days where every army has its own special named version of objective secured. They just say troops, units, and Adeptus Astartes detachments gain the objective secured rule. So we're back to a universal special rule for whether you control an objective or not. I am 1000% cool. okay with that. Yep. <laughs> Adeptus Astartes detachments gain the company command ability. Adeptus Astartes units in Adeptus Astartes detachments gain the chapter tactics ability. Company command rule. You can now only have one captain and two lieutenants in each detachment in your army. So no more three smash captains in a single detachment. I like that. That's that's good because it seemed like for a while they put that restriction on Tau only and then like never put it in again. And it's... It, this will cut down on Hero Hammer a lot, which I'm fine with. Yeah, and when we get to the Necron Codex in the next episode, they have something similar there for, like, who can, like, who is Warlord if you have, like, a Overlord and a Lord and a named character and stuff. Like, there's actually a hierarchy. So they have, they're starting to put in these, like, army construction restrictions for Battleforged armies, like, right at the beginning. That's cool. And then Chapter Tact is saying, yeah, everybody, if you're... Everybody in your chapter with the same or in your detachment with the same chapter besides beasts and servitors get the uh, chapter tack, you know, get their chapter tactic. And then we get a two page spread of chapter tactics, including blood angels, space wolves, dark angels, death watch. A number of these have been a uh, number of these are the same as they were in like the various psychic awakening books. Some of them have been updated and tweaked. Like, for example, dark angels. And each time a model with this tactic makes an attack, unless that model's unit has moved this turn, excluding piling and consolidation moves, add a one to that attack's total. And each time a combat attrition test is taken for a unit with this tactic, it's automatically passed. So you can lose one model from failing morale, and that's it. Which is kind of the same ability they had before, but now they've clarified it by saying, oh yeah, you, don't you won't lose any additional to attrition. That's uh, useful. Yeah, and I, th I think it, it's a... It makes more sense rules-wise than just saying, oh, you never lose more than one to morale. Now it's like, well, you can lose one to morale because if you fail morale, you lose one automatically. But then the addition, I I think, I like how they're leveraging the addition of the combat attrition test to explain that rule. Space Wolves. Each time a model with this tactic makes a melee attack, if that model's unit made a charge move, was charged, performed heroic intervention, add one to the attack's hit roll. I believe they had that before. Yeah. And then... Uh, units with this tactic can all heroically intervene like characters. That's super nice. Uh, Blood Angels are pretty much the same ones they had in Psychic Awakening. One, add one to advance and charge rolls. And uh, when they make a melee attack and they charged, were charged, heroically intervened, they add one to the attack, uh, one to the wound roll. 
Uh, flesh tears have the that plus the uh, they get extra extra AP on attacks of six because they do have flesh tears in here as well. Uh, most of these are are pretty much the same. Uh, salamanders got tweaked a bit because salamanders used to what re-roll a hit wound and a wound roll because they're mastercrafted weapons. Yeah. Uh, now they can they can only re-roll wound rolls now, so That's they got toned better. down a bit. Yeah. But then they also uh, treat AP minus one as AP zero, which that that's the same as they had before. Uh, Ultramarines are pretty much the same as they were before. Add plus one leadership and they can fall back and shoot, but they're hitting at minus one. Now, Imperial Fists are pretty much the same, although they've specified the difference between light cover and heavy cover. So, like, they ignore light cover. Raven Guard... Their abilities are all based around cover. If you're more than 18 inches away from a Raven Guard unit, the Raven Guard unit gets light cover. If you're more than 12 inches away and in terrain, then they get dense cover, which is the minus one to hit. So again, functionally identical, but they're leveraging the core rules to do it. And also anything that would take away cover would take away those benefits. So... I like that better. It's a way to give them the same abilities, but also allow certain units or certain armies to be able to get around them. And you want to have that. You want to have that ability like, yes, you have strong abilities, but when they're really strong, like an additional minus one to hit. Although the minus one to hit is also less of a problem now that they can't stack. But otherwise, yeah, they're, the chapter tactics are mostly the same, but it is interesting. Oh, and I suppose I should mention Death Watch. Death Watch, your chapter tactic is each time a model with this tactic makes a melee attack against Nids, Eldari, Orc, Necrons, or Tau, reroll hit rolls of one. And after both sides have finished deploying the army, select one battlefield roll, so troops, elites, fast attack, etc. Until the end of the battle, each time a model with this tactic makes an attack against an enemy unit with the battlefield with that battlefield roll, reroll wound rolls of one. Uh, no mention of, like, special ammunition. If they do have that, I imagine it will be in their Codex supplement. Makes sense. And uh, and that that's going to be true of, like, basically all of these chapters now are going to be covered by a chap by a Codex supplement. Some of them already have them, and we'll have to see what kind of FAQs get applied to the six founding supplements that were released when the last Space Marine Codex is released. But we know Blood Angels, Space Wolves, Death Watch are coming, and then Dark Angels will be coming, I think, early next year. So by the end of the year, so, with, so within a couple of months, we will see a lot of these armies updated to fully utilize this new codex. But as is, most of them are relatively playable with this now. But we are going to be in a kind of a weird couple-month window where... You know, maybe by the end of the month, some of these will be released. But, like, we're in a window right now where, like, Blood Angels and Space Wolves and Dark Angels and Death Watch aren't going to play quite right. Because technically, this replaces all their other stuff. Yeah, and I, I assume it's a situation like when we had the last supplements where characters that are in those codexes, like, aren't in here, right? So, like, they're right, yeah. after release, either something like they did last time with included those character rules or just wait till the supplements. Yeah. And I'm assuming that eventually they're going to re-release supplements for the, the other six founding chapters. But mm -hmm. I, my understanding would be that those are meant to just layer upon this codex now instead of the previous one. 
But we'll have to see. Like, I imagine there's going to be a bunch of errata documents issued next week when this comes out. And then yeah, there's the list of successor chapter tactics. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these. And this episode is not meant to be a deep dive. I'm not going to go through all the data sheets. We're just going to kind of hit some of the high points. But yes, you can still build a chapter of your own. Most of the, I believe most of the secondaries that were, or the successor chapter tactics that were here before are still here. And some of them still like duelists and uh, whirlwind of rage. You can't take together. Uh, there's inheritors of the Primarch, which lets you just take this, the chapter tactic of your, your, uh, previous, your parent chapter. So like a lot, if you have a custom chapter made, it probably won't change that much. You'll still be able to use, use the same thing. Yeah. It looks like for the most part, they're all still in here. So, then we get into chapter command rules. Now, in in like Psychic Awakening, and there was also the chapter master stratagem in the previous Space Marine Codex. These were stratagems you paid command points for them, and they upgraded the particular character that they referred to to an elevated version and gave you some bonuses. These are no longer stratagem-based. You actually pay points or power level. You actually can... Like, for example, if you take a chapter master, you basically, you can take a captain, you can make them a chapter master, they gain the chapter master keyword, their power rating goes up by two, and their points cost goes up by 40. Or if you want a tech marine who's a master of the forge, it, their power level goes up one, and they gain, and their cost goes up 20 points. So that's kind of a, a cool way to do that, to just, rather than being a stratagem, you're actually just making, it's, it's a character upgrade that costs you because the character gets more powerful. Which is kind of nice because it gives you a little more flexibility because the stratagem was limited to upgrading one character. Um, whereas here, you could basically do this once per detachment because you can have one, you know, one commander, one chaplain. You know, so you can you can kind of have that super force of like multiple chapter masters or a chapter master and a master of sanctity and things like that, and like actually can upgrade multiple characters, which which I like. Yeah, and I do. They do have a couple of restrictions here. Um, a Death Watch captain cannot become a chapter master because there's no such thing. Boo. Uh, a Black Templar's company champion can't become a chapter champion because that would be the Emperor's champion and is a separate data sheet. Uh, a Blood Angel's ancient can't become a chapter ancient. So they they do have a few restrictions on these. Um, and uh, I'll call out just like chapter master. So the chapter master in the previous version, which, as, as I said, was a stratagem, the old stratagem said that uh, basically it replaced the reroll hit rolls of one with chapter master. You can reroll hit rolls for attacks made by models in friendly chapter units whilst their unit is within six inches of this model. So suddenly you could just reroll everything. The new one does not work like that. So first off, we're going to get our first peek at how core, the core keyword that we talked about, in previous episodes, uh, changes this. Chapter Master, in your command phase, select one friendly chapter core or chapter character unit within six inches of this model and tell the start of your next command phase each time a model in that unit makes an attack, you can reroll the hit roll. So, A, it doesn't replace the old reroll one's ability, but second, it is a targeted ability, no longer just a blanket aura ability, and only affects either core or character units. So, you could target yourself with it, because you are a character, but you're if you target yourself with it, you're not giving it to anybody else. No, I, I like this because it it 
tones down some of the rerolls and extra abilities and auras that we have. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's good for the game. Mm-hmm. Also, they note that a chapter master is excluded from the company command rule that we just talked about. So you can have a chapter master and a captain in a detachment. So you oh, nice. can still build a fluff appropriate army. Nice. Also, these uh, rules, all these these roles, these master of the chapter roles, all have extra warlord traits they can they can have. Like just this character can have. So, like for a chapter master, it's uh, you get a command point during the command phase on a d six or on a on a roll of four up. So if the warlord's on the battlefield, you can get an extra command point or a, uh, a upgraded uh, relic suit of armor that gives them a two up armor and uh, plus one wound and toughness. And they, they all have this. So like the Master of Sanctity has has a warlord trait and a relic. Master of the Forge does. Chief Librarian, Chief Apothecary, Chapter Ancient and Chapter Champion. I think this is cool. Honestly, I think it's a neat way to do this. Um, then we get into stratagems. The stratagems are, I'm split on the formatting on these. On the one hand, I like that they've color coded these into different sections based on like what kind of stratagem it is. It does not have any game difference yet that I've been able to determine, but there's like battle tactic stratagems, epic deed stratagems, requisition stratagems, hit and, uh, strategic ploy stratagems. War and war gear stratagems. They're just there to kind of tell you what kind, like what do they represent. But I do kind of like the old stratagem list where like each stratagem was in its own little bubble. It just made it a little bit easier to read each stratagem. This is still fine. Uh, but I will note a few changes. Um, for one thing, there's a number of strats that would, like you could just pick a, a, Space Marine unit in your army, and that, like, uh, Honor the Chapter. The old Honor the Chapters uh, cost 3 CP and said, Use the stratagem at the end of the fight phase. Select one Adeptus Astartes unit from your army within an inch of any enemy units. That unit can fight an additional time this phase. A 3 CP fight against strat. We see this in a lot of armies. Not a big deal. The new version only costs 2 CP, so that's an improvement, but... Use the stratagem at the end of the fight phase. Select one Assault Intercessor Squad unit from your army that is within engagement range of the enemy units. That can that unit can fight again. So it's, now it's very limited to one particular unit. It's almost like they they want to control who could get the bonuses. Yes, and this answers a question because there's a several other in, others in here that target particular units, specifically particular Primaris units. And I think we now have the answer to, well, if all space marines have been increased, have had their wounds increased by one, minus not counting scouts, but like if tack marines now have two wounds and assault marines have two wounds and devastator marines have two wounds, then what's the benefit of running intercessors and other primaris marines? And now the, we have the answer. The answer is primaris get access to more stratagems that can they can use to basically recreate their special abilities what makes them better that the normal marines so like if you have an assault intercessor squad and an assault squad they both hit just about as hard they both have the same adeptus astartes chain sword so they're both hitting at ap minus one they have pretty much the same number of attacks they have the same toughness and the same wounds and the same armor save the difference is one of those two can fight again, the other one can't, and the older Marines can't. Uh, just like uh, another one f- 
For example, transhuman physiology. Transhuman physiology in the old book, it cost you two CP and it basically said you targeted an Adeptus Astartes unit that wasn't a vehicle or servitor. And for the rest of the turn, that unit couldn't be wounded on uh, one to three. Like it was four up or better. And it cost two, two CP. Now it costs one CP for smaller units, two CP if there's more than five in the, in the unit. But it only targets Primaris units. Only Primaris can shrug off the extra wounds. So again, this is what differentiates Primaris from non-Primaris. You want a cheaper army. You want a little bit more flexibility in your weapons. You take firstborn Marines. You want Marines that are better based on stratagem usage. You take Primaris. So I I find that to be interesting. I find that as, as a neat way to differentiate kind of the old and the new in this while still technically supporting the old army and the old army construction. Yeah. No, it is a, it's a neat way to use the, the stratagems and like the mechanics of the game. So I, I, yeah, I like it. Um, few other changes, things like wisdom of the ancients, which gave, uh, dreadnoughts like an aura to allow people to reroll wound rolls of one around them. Uh, they can now choose that or, or they could reroll hit rolls of one kind of like a captain. Now they can choose between that or the lieutenant aura of reroll wound rolls of one. Um, and again, it only affects core units. Uh, this one is cool. Okay, here's one that's cool. I did want to call this one out. Power of the Machine Spirit. We were wondering what happened to Power of the Machine Spirit because all the units that had the Power of the Machine Spirit ability said they could move and fire without penalty. Well, now every vehicle can do that. So what does that mean for things like Land Raiders and Storm Ravens and such? Power of the Machine Spirit is a 2CP strat that basically treats them as being at full wounds for determining any, like, stats that would change. Okay, that's really nice. I, I think I like that. And it lasts until their next command phase. So it's not even just, like, for the shooting phase. It's, like, for the whole thing. Um, otherwise, you know, a lot of these are the same. There are some new stratagems in here. Um, one note I did... Sh- one thing I did note was Tremor Shells, uh, which was the old Thunderfire cannon, which basically halved your movement if you got hit with it and like halved advance and charge rolls now only subtracts two from uh, advance and charge rolls. Uh, so that's been toned down a little bit, still effective, but not as absolutely painful as it was before. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, there, and then there's a, a few other changes like hellfire shells, which let you fire trade your uh, heavy bolter shots for one shot, but it did D three mortal wounds now does just a straight three wounds, three mortal wounds to a monster if you hit it instead of having to roll D3. Uh, flak missiles do 2D3 mortal wounds to flyers instead of just one. Melt-a-bomb is now a stratagem, mm. which uh, basically you trade all your attacks for one attack, but if you hit, it does 2D3 mortal wounds to a vehicle. So kind of kind of gives them a little bit of a, like a haywire grenade type feel to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and um, remember the old adaptive strategy ch- uh, stratagem that they had to remove because it was too broken? Yes. The one that let you change. Because uh, combat, the, the combat doctrine thing is still in this book, where you start at Devastator. Oh, and then right, go, right. And this mm-hmm. basically let you change which one you were at. And they're like, that's too broken. People are staying in Devastator forever. Yeah. It's been brought back, but I like how they've done it. Cost two CP. Uh, Use the stratagem in your command phase. If a chapter warlord from your army is on the battlefield and a combat doctrine is active for your army, select one chapter core unit. So again, it only affects core units. 
Until the uh, start of your next command phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, the Devastator, Tactical, and Assault Doctrines are considered to be active for that attack. Okay. To just that attack? Uh, well, until the next turn. So anytime they okay. make an attack, so like if they shoot and then charge, they'll have like the minus one AP on basically all their weapons, but it only affects one unit for one turn. Okay. But uh, I think that's an interesting way to like, oh, how are they adaptive? Well, they can, this one unit that is in a clutch position that I need to do the thing can do all of them. Cool. Oh, and this one, I, this one is is a, another new one and is very important to how uh, event or to how missions are done now. Uncompromising fire. 2 CP. Use the stratagem in your shooting phase. Select one Adeptus Astartes infantry unit from your army that is performing an action. That unit can shoot this phase without the action failing. Okay. So, like, you can have them go, like, raise the banners or do, you know, whatever you need to do to gain command points. And, oh, I got a couple of CP. Yeah, I'm going to need them to shoot now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, mission flexibility. I like that. Which, that's something that Space Marines have kind of been known for. Right. So it, it fits the army, but it, it's interesting that like they are now referencing that actions are actions are part of the game now. Actions are going to be the way you score things now. So that's just a part of how we're going to do this now. I like it. Um, we get into warlord traits. I, I admit I have not gone through all the warlord traits. So like uh, a number of these are modal or give multiple abilities. So, for example, fear made manifest which used to be just subtract one from leadership of enemy units within six inches of this warlord. It is both subtract one from leadership and subtract one from their combat attrition tests. But like each one of these, if they have multiple clauses, they're all bullet pointed out. So it's very, again, very easy to read this very clear to know what each of these does. Otherwise. Yeah, they look to be there. There's a, they look to be pretty much the same as they were before. So no, no big change there. Chapter Warlord traits, there are a few that have been rolled in. Yeah, most of these are the same, but the ones to note are going to be the chapters that now exist in this book. So Space Wolves has the Beast Slayer Warlord trait. Uh, When this Warlord is within engagement range of any enemy monster or vehicle units, add one to their attacks. And when they attack a monster or vehicle, add one to the attacks hit roll and one to the attacks wound roll. So... Space wolves just hate anything bigger than than themselves and want to kill it. Which makes sense. And I'm still coming to terms with space wolves being in here. It's just, I'm so used to them being in their own book. Right. Uh, Blood Angels, the warlord gets to fight first. Uh, Dark Angels, in your command phase, you can select one friendly Dark Angels unit within six inches of the warlord until the start of your next command phase. If the tactical doctrine is active for your army, then the next time, then each time a model in that unit makes an attack... The Devastator Doctrine is considered to be active for that attack. Inste- instead, if the Assault Doctrine is active, then each time a model that you makes attack, the Tactical Doctrine. So basically, you can shift it back one, but only for Dark Angels. And only if they're within six inches of the Warlord. But otherwise, yeah, most of these are the same. So if you are playing an existing Space Marine army that was in this book beforehand... It, it's not going to change the or your army rules that much. You will change if you're one of the co- armies that was just brought into this. But again, hopefully once the supplements are out, that'll all be clear. 
Um, relics, not going to go over all of these, but there's two pages of those. Um, librarius and obscuration discipline, which now means all chapters have access to these. If you have, if you can take psychers, litanies of battle, they do not have the chapter specific litanies of battle, but those are in all the various supplements. But otherwise, you know, your chaplains have access to these. All right, chapter approved rules. These are the match play rules for uh, special missions you can take if you are a Space Marine Army. So purge the enemy, for example. And again, these are broken into the same groupings as you would have in mission objects. So again, you can't take two purge the enemies. You can't take two no mercy, no respite. You can't take two battlefield supremacy. But the new purge the enemy one is codex warfare. If you select this objective, you score victory points as follows. Score one victory point at the end of the battle to a maximum of five for each enemy unit that was destroyed as the result of an attack made by a heavy or grenade weapon by an Adeptus Astartes unit from your army while Devastator Doctrine was active. And then score one victory point with rap if you killed something with rapid fire or assault uh, while tactical was up or by one point for pistol and melee while assault doctrine was up. So it's encouraging you kill things with the right weapons during the right doctrines. Which, that one's going to be tricky to max out because you only get Devastator for one turn. And you can have Tactical for only two. Um, Battlefield Supremacy gets Shock Tactics. Score three victory points at the end of the battle round if you controlled one or more objective markers that were controlled by your opponent at the start of the battle round and an Adeptus Astartes unit from your army is within range of that objective marker. So basically, if you can take objectives from your opponent, you get three points for each, uh, if you did that during the turn. And then for No Mercy, No Respite, they get Oaths of Moment. If you select this objective, you score victory points at the end of each battle round for achieving the following oaths. Oath of Valor, score one victory point if any character, vehicle, or monster unit was destroyed by an Adeptus Astartes unit from your army during the battle round. Oath of Honor, score one victory point at the end of the battle round so long as no Adeptus Astartes units from your army failed a morale test and provided no Adeptus Astartes units from your army fell back during that battle round. And Oath of Duty, score two victory points at the end of the battle if an Adeptus Astartes unit from your army is wholly within six inches of the center of the battlefield. So it encourages you to play aggressively. And hey, if you're playing Space Wolves, going after vehicles or monsters is easy points. So, yeah. So, so what the, like, this is the kind of thing we're going to expect to see is like factions will have their own, excuse me, factions will have their own specific objectives. There's not going to be a ton of them. And they're really encouraging, like, if you take this, they want you to play how this army is supposed to play on the battlefield. Well, do you know what this kind of reminds me of? What? Remember when we had the one through six cards and we would like one of them always got one set of six got replaced by your own factions? Ah, yes. So it was optional, but yes. Okay. So, yeah, like the just the tactical objective deck. Right. But with you have far more control over this because you can pick which one. You oh, want yes, to. yes, yes. But I like it. I, I think. And will it necessarily tear any of these tear up the uh, the field competitively? Probably not. But it's they're good options to have. Uh, and then we get into the crusade rules, um, which include like custom agendas for space marines. So like angels of death at the end of the battle, if there are no models from the enemy army remaining on the battlefield, each Adeptus unit from your army that is on the battlefield kill or gains three experience points. So if you can just table your opponent, anybody who you have left on your side gets experience. It's so stuff like that. No, no fear, honor the standard, recover gene seed. Um, 
new requisitions, which uh, we talked about the one uh, where you can spend requisition points to turn a character wh- who has battle scars into a uh, into a dreadnought. Uh, yeah, you can buy cool. chapter command requisition point. Um, you can even have a character become Primaris. Uh, to cross the Rubicon, Primaris is not a decision taken lightly, for not all warriors survive the transformation. Re- purchase this requisition anytime, costs you one requisition. Select one captain, librarian, chaplain, apothecary, ancient, or tech marine from your crusade that force that does not have the Primaris keyword. And roll a 1d6. On a 1, that unit's removed from your order of battle. <laughs> <laughs> on a 1, he didn't make it. Oh, no. <laughs> on a 2-up, on a replace that unit with a Primaris unit with the same keyword drawn from the same chapter. You cannot purchase this requisition. If doing so, would cause your total power level to exceed your Crusade Force's supply limit. The new Primaris unit has the same number of experience points and the same battle honors and battle scars as the unit it replaced. If the battle honor cannot be applied, I, uh, e.g. a weapon enhancement for a weapon that a Primaris model cannot be equipped with, select a new battle honor to replace it. That's cool. <laughs> That's good. No, it's just it's the crew, and that this is the kind of thing that Crusades made for these these bits of flavor. And I'm glad that they are s- separated out as Crusade and not try like th- by having Crusade as being its own clearly marked thing. It allows them to do those fun, fluffy rules that they always tried to shoehorn in and also make work competitively. Mm. And I'm glad that I'm glad it they have a place to put those now. So. This seems fun. This this seems cool. Uh, there's honorifics that you can t- put on captains. So like you can have the master of the watch, who is your like the second company captain, or the master of the arsenal. They give them special abilities in crusade only. Uh, crusade specific relics, legendary relics, an agenda to recover relics, and they give a couple of examples of like what crusade a crusade army might look like. So uh, I think having faction specific crusade stuff is is awesome. And I think it leans into that idea of role playing your army out. And I'm I am so happy to have this option in here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And then we get into data sheets. So they talk about like what the the chapter keyword represents. Um, you, if your army's battleforged, you can't include units from two different chapters in the same detachment. Not just that they don't gain abilities, you just can't. And also, non-codex compliant chapters. This is a nice little bit here. And this is why we think that Legion of the Damned might be making a comeback. You cannot select Grey Knights or Legion of the Damned when nominating what chapter a unit is from. The fact that Legion of the Damned gets a shout-out means that they might be just coming back. Yeah, exactly. In addition, the following restrictions apply. Black Templars cannot take librarians. That's obvious. Dark Angels cannot take Sternguard veteran squads or Vanguard veteran squads, and that includes any Dark Angel successor chapters. Death Watch. The following units cannot be from Death Watch. Assault Squad, Attack Bike Squad, Bike Squad, Devastator Squad, Sternguard veteran squad, Tactical Squad, Scout Units, which tells me that their main troop unit is going to be coming in their supplement. Yeah. Yeah. Or they want you to take the Primaris ones because, like, you can take <laughs> Intercessors, you can take Incursors, you cannot take Tactical Marines. And then Space Wolves, the following units cannot be from the Space Wolf chapter or any successor chapters Apothecaries, Assault Squads, Devastator Squads, Stern Guard Veteran Squads, 
tactical squads, Vanguard veteran squads. So like your Wolf Guard, your Long Things, uh, your Grey Hunters, those are going to be the replacements. And they'll be in the supplement. Right now, if you want to play Space Wolves out of this book, you have to use Primaris troops primarily. So in a way, it's going to be really hard to play some of these armies until their supplements are in Really, play. it is. It Absolutely. is very much yeah. so. Angels of Death, or they get the, get into the abilities. Angels of Death gives you They Shall Know No Fear, Bolter Discipline, Shock Assault. These are, and Combat Doctrines, pretty much the same. Um, Angels of Death, uh, let's see. They Shall Know No Fear. When you take Combat Attrition Test, you ignore any or all modifiers. So you're always doing Combat Attrition on a straight roll, but not necessarily morale. So you don't re-roll failed morale anymore. Bolter Discipline uh, is pretty much the same, although they've added Centurion as you don't get this. <laughs> the shooting model is infantry, excluding Centurion models, and its unit remains stationary in your previous movement phase, or the unit is a Terminator or Biker. So it, it functionally the same, except screw you, Centurions. Um, shock Assault is the same. You get the extra attack if you charged or charged or heroically intervened. Combat Doctrines are the same as the new version where it's always Devastator, then Tactical, then possibly, then either Tactical or Assault, and then 4th and 5th turns Assault. And they it's the same for all of them. They apply the, the AP improvement of 1. And then they have a sidebar for common rules. Deploy, specifically for deployment abilities, but they have them all spelled out in one sidebar. So like combat squad. So they don't have to define combat squads over and over again on a data sheet. So they say combat squad. Boom. It's always this death from above is always this concealed positions is always this outflank is always this teleport strike always this. So it allows them to streamline their data sheets kind of the way they used to be when they had universal special rule. <laughs> it's like, I think they realized in eighth edition, they made stuff too unique per data sheet and, spent a lot of time just rewriting the same rule over and over again. And I'm glad they're moving away from that. Uh, then we get into the actual data sheets. Like I said, I'm not going to go th- over all these. There's so many in here. There's like 60 pages of these. <laughs> but yes, like rights of battle auras only affect core models. Now, um, captain on bike can have a Raven wing keyword. Captain terminator armor can have the death, the death wing keyword. Um, lieutenants, if they are from Space Wolves, get the Wolf Guard keyword. Okay. So they're starting to, like, you're, you're seeing how they're, like, making sure these units are going to key into whatever rules are in their supplement. Right. So yeah, li- like, librarians automatically have, librarians have the Deathwing keyword if you're uh, Dark Angels. Uh, chaplains have the Wolf Priest keyword if you are playing Space Wolves. So there's not going to be a standalone wolf priest unit. It's just going to be, it's a chaplain and the wolf priest keyword will let you do something else. I mean, that's probably better. Yeah, it allows the, it makes the units more, it makes the rules more consistent. That's, that's better. And I think that's the big thing to take away from this book is all the Marine armies are, they're still going to be allowed their own flavor, which is why obviously they need supplements. But it is going to unify the feel of a lot of the rules across the board. And I think that's a good thing. All right. Then we get into troops. Um, You've got intercessor squads, assault intercessor squads. So, for example, your assault intercessor squad has the angels of death and combat squads rules. And that's it besides their weapon rules. And they have the core keyword. Uh, So core 
uh, intercessors, assault intercessors, heavy intercessors, which do come in at exactly what I thought they were. 28 points a model, so 140 points for five of them. Um, infiltrators have core. Incursors have core. Tactical squads have core. Company champions, which are an elite, do not. Um, scout squads, which are now an elite instead of a troop, are core. <laughs> and they have concealed positions and outflank now. Which outflank uh, allows them to come on during deployment. You can set them up behind enemy lines instead of setting them up on the battlefield. Uh, so you can set them up wholly within six inches of any battlefield edge and more than nine inches away from any enemy models. So scout squads almost play more like wolf scouts. Well, may- maybe that's the intention. Maybe this is like the wolf scouts that got pulled into here and old scouts are gone. It possibly. I think it also is meant to represent that. Like, scouts aren't meant to be used as troops. They're meant to be scouting. So there's there's no intention of them to be used as a main battle line troop. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that that change right there, moving scouts to elites, is going to change up so many army builds. Because, I mean, that was kind of the thing. People bought cheap scout squads for their troop tax to you know, be able to spend their points on the things that actually did damage. And now it's like, no, GW's like, hey, you really shouldn't be doing that. We're not going to let you do that anymore. Which also means they don't get uh, they don't get objective security either. Right, yeah. No, I, I think it's good. I think it gives scouts an actual, uh, a, a better purpose. I don't know that they'll be taken nearly as much, but I think it gives them a defined purpose different than the other troops, which Agreed. is good. Yeah, so basically your troops are now, like, you've got six troop choices, and it's intercessors, so you've got your shooty intercessors, your assault intercessors, you see your fighty intercessors, your heavy intercessors, so your extremely shooty intercessors, your infiltrators and incursors, so you've got two varieties of sneaky intercessors, and then the tactical squads, not intercessors at all. Also, a number of these units have other keywords that you might be surprised by, like the tactical squad has the melt-a-bombs keyword. The infiltrator squad and incursor squad have the smokescreen keyword. And the reason that is important is because going back to stratagems, remember how I said there's a melt-a-bomb stratagem? I'm assuming you have to have that keyword. Yes, you have to be a melt-a-bomb unit. Those actually make sense because I would think that those squads would have either the melt bombs or those others would have the smoke screens. So yeah. it's they're they're putting the keywords on there to key off of stratagems. It sounds yeah, like, like the, there's a smoke screen stratagem that says use the stratagem in your opponent's shooting phase when an uh, adeptus astartes smoke screen unit from your army is selected as the target of an attack until the end of the phase. Each time an attack roll is made against that unit, subtract one from the attack roll. So certain units can pop smoke. Or throw down a smoke grenade. Right. <laughs> apothecary, Primaris Apothecary. Um, the regular uh, you know, Firstborn Apothecary has a command squad ability for each company chapter company veterans unit included in a detachment. One chapter command squad apothecary, who command they have the command squad and apothecary keywords already, can be included in that detachment without taking up a battlefield role slot. So kind of like there used to be that company command squad thing you could like it was a kit you could buy and a unit you could take. There's like oh, it's got a company champion and apothecary and a couple other things in it. You can now kind of recreate that a little bit. Nice. Uh, company ancients, Primaris ancients, which ancients uh, have the Wolfguard keyword if they were 
if you're playing Space Wolves. Blade Guard Ancients, Ancients in Terminator Armor, who have Deathwing and can be Deathwing Command Squad, uh, Veteran Intercessor Squads. So it's no longer a upgrade that you spend uh, a stratagem on to upgrade. It's just a separate unit for veterans. Blade Guard Veterans, Company Veterans, Vanguard Veterans, Stern Guard Veterans, the Judiciar, who we saw in uh, Indomitus, Reaver Squads that no one takes. Aggressor squads, Terminator assault squads, Terminator squads, and yes, they have three wounds each now. And with the new uh, Storm Shield, they are, you know, less invulnerable save, but better at shrugging off small arms fire. I think they're still going to be good. Also, I think it's interesting, uh, instead of having separate units for, uh, like, Cataphracty Terminator and Tartarus Terminator, they just have Relic Terminator squad now. And it just, there's no difference between the two rule-wise. It just says, ah, if you're using old marks of Terminator armor, use this unit instead. That's a lot cleaner. I like that. It, it really is. And, like, when you go to, like, the, the captains in Terminator armor, there's not captains in the multiple kinds of, there's just one captain in Terminator armor. So they they did consolidate down some... Uh, some data sheets just to, you know, for simplification purposes. Mm -hmm. um, dreadnoughts do have the core uh, keyword. At least dreadnoughts, contemptor dreadnoughts, venerable dreadnoughts. Oh, and terminators have the core keyword as well, yep. as do reavers and aggressors. And actually, stern guard and vet, uh, vanguard vets do. Uh, blade guard vets do. So basically, like all the veterans have the core. Dreadnoughts do. The Invictor Warsuit does not. Yes, even the Redemptor Dreadnought has the core keyword. Ha also, however, the while the Redemptor does not, the Dreadnought contempt, uh, the Dreadnought Venerable Dreadnought and Ironclad Dreadnought also do have the smokescreen rule. So, smoke launchers are now something you spend command points on and can only do once per phase. Hmm. So they've just again combined that down, given it to more units by having like. Scout-type units also having smoke grenades to do the same thing, but worked it into a stratagem instead. Uh, assault squads, outrider squads are core. The invader ATV squad is not. Bike squads are. Scout bike squads are core. Attack bikes are core. Suppressor squads, so the, the jump guys with the, uh, the big auto cannons are core, as are inceptors. We're getting into fast attack now. Uh, then we get into the new storm speeders, the... Uh, Primaris land speeders, which don't have the Primaris trait, but I guess it doesn't matter since nobody can get in or out of them. Right. Uh, they can be Ravenwing. Uh, and the weapons are, are nothing that you'd be unfamiliar with. Um, like the, the one with, uh, the Gatling cannon and brother tinnitus back there. Uh, I mean, it's, it's heavy iron hail, heavy stubbers and an onslaught Gatling cannon. It's, it's the same kind of stuff we've seen on, you know, other vehicles have the same thing. They do move 16 inches at full health, though, which is nice. Yeah, and compared to, like, a regular land speeder, it's just kind of looking like they've got more movement at top level, more wounds, more attacks. Although more wounds does mean they degrade as they take damage. Yeah. Whereas a land speeder only has six wounds, but it's at full full utility the whole time. And actually, land speeders move 18. Yeah, and they, yeah, I realized I, was, I thought I had 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the land speeders, so land speeders are a little lighter and faster which i kind of like because there's still differentiation between what they can do right 
And actually, that's up two inches. They used to only move 16. So land speeders got an extra boost of speed to differentiate them from their larger brethren. Yeah, I like that. So I, I like that. You know, again, it it's good for these units to still have a role. So they're not completely surpassed by the new hotness. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a separate listing, separate data sheets. This is a case. And here's one of the cases where they took a data sheet and split it out. Land speeders, land speeder tornadoes, and land speeder typhoons are th- three separate data sheets for reasons. Oh, okay. I see why, though. Regular land speeders move 18. Tornadoes and typhoons only move 16 because they have, they're carrying more weaponry. Yeah. And you can, since you can take them in squads, like you can't, this prevents you from like mixing and matching within the squad. You take a squad of land speeders, a squad of land speeder t- tornadoes, or a squad of typhoons and not mix and match as much. Right. So. And yes, we're you know you're seeing the the changes to melted weapons, the changes to flamer weapons. If we didn't know about those ahead of time, these would be like this would be much bigger surprise changes. But this uh-huh. has been known for a while, so it's not really anything we need to discuss here. And yes, hell blasters with their plasma guns only uh, they have the plasma weapon ability, which just says if any unmodified hit rolls of one are made for attacks with this weapon profile. The bearer is destroyed after shooting with this weapon. So yes, you still miss and you die, but at least it is only unmodified one. So shooting at a flyer is now not riskier. Right. <laughs> shooting at a scout who's in cover or like shooting at an Eldar Pathfinder with a plasma weapon is not more dangerous than firing at anybody else. And uh, their, their core as well. So I think a lot of like the infantry heavy, heavy units are going to be core as well. Yes. But most vehicles are not. Uh, dreadnoughts are the main ones that I've seen that are. Mm-hmm. But most vehicles are not core. Uh, yeah, Hellblasters are. Eliminators are. Centurions are not. Um, well, eliminators and Eradicators, which Eradicators are still just going to be awesome. The difference with Centurions is they're they're wearing the Space Marine Snuggie armor, so like that's why nobody wants them around. <laughs> <laughs> However, they they did get uh imp- they got tweaked a little bit. They got an extra inch of movement, so they don't they're not as sloggy as they were before. Otherwise, they're I mean they're equipped pretty much the same. Their power went up by two, which means they've also got more expensive. Mm-hmm. The grav cannon got an extra six inches of range on them, though. Oh, that's nice. So, so they move. So they've got a bigger threat bubble. I think is the the main thing to take away from that. And having the extra inch of movement is also good for the uh, assault. Yeah, the assault squad for Centurions got an extra, got the extra inch as well. I was going to make a joke about being able to use that extra inch, but we're classier podcast than that. <laughs> Are we, though? <laughs> and also, um, they have wor- they have the uh, Centurion assault launchers, which no... Okay, before, the Centurion assault launchers let you do mortal wounds to somebody within an inch after you charge them and like, like you could on a D six roll a four better. You do a mortal wound to unit after you charge somebody. Now they instead have the assault launchers keyword, which again triggers, a, you know, ties into a war gear stratagem called strangely enough, assault launchers. Although it works differently now. Um, use the star stratagem at the start of your charge phase. Select one adept is the start. He's assault launchers unit from your army and one enemy unit, not counting vehicle or monsters, 
within nine inches of that unit, that enemy unit can either brace or duck for cover. If the unit braces, it takes D3 mortal wounds. If it ducks for cover, then until the end of the turn, subtract one from the attack's characteristic of models in that unit, and that unit cannot fire overwatch or set to defend. So they can choose, do you want to overwatch or do you want to lose models? Now, I think, let's see, who else has assault launchers? I want to say the Ironclad used to have it. Oh, no, it does. The Ironclad has the, has the assault launchers keyword as well, or has war gear that gives it to it. So, and I'm assuming there might be a land raider that has that as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely one that used to have it at least. But again, we're seeing how like pieces of war gear are getting standardized by making them into stratagems. But the trade-off is you have to spend a command point to use it, but you also have more command points than you did before. So it's an interesting way to, to con- make those rules consistent, but also have a, an opportunity cost with them. But it also allows them to make those abilities more useful. Because I'd say a random chance of doing one mortal wound to a unit is not is is not good compared to d3 mortal wounds or no overwatch that is true yeah uh, let's see eradicators in the shooting phase each time this unit is selected to shoot if it has not advanced it can unleash total obliteration if it does select one enemy unit you can shoot twice this phase but you can only make attacks that target that enemy unit so you just you pick a thing and you burn it down um, devastators are still devastators and they do mention that the Armarium Cherub is just a rule now, but they have a little bit in italics. We recommend placing an, Arm- an Armorium Cherub next to the unit as a reminder, removing it once the ability has been used, but it doesn't count as a model for any rules purposes. So I have a feeling that you're going to see things like that or the Grot Oilers or things like that, where it's like, uh, this is a model that isn't really a model. It is just a counter that we recommend you use to remember an ability, but it doesn't count as anything. So we got to get power from pain tokens back. Who knows? Could be. Thunderfire cannon. This one took a nerf, mainly in the fact that the weapon only does it's only strength four AP AP zero instead of strength five AP minus one. I mean, otherwise, you know, it can still target things that you can't see. It still has a ballistic skill of two. It has the blast rule. So it's still nasty to deal with. Right. But otherwise, but losing the strength and AP, and that doesn't mean it is a heavy support. So it's a heavy weapon. So first turn, it'll be AP minus one, but that's way better than being AP minus two. Thunderfire Cannon was too good. I will take it at this. This is a, this is a reasonable adjustment to it. Well, and then with it being a blast weapon as well, like that's better against hordes and, you know, larger units, which is frankly what it should have been being used for before. Oh, yeah. Against against hordes, this thing's going to do a solid 12 attacks at Mm. ballistic skill two. I mean, that's that's yeah, like you said, it's what it should be used for. Uh, The fire strike servo turret, it can have you can have one to three turrets in a unit and it can have either a. Twin Last Talon or Twin Excel- Accelerator Auto Cannon. It doesn't have a separate gunner like a Thunderfire Cannon. It is just a guy on a on a gun. Mm-hmm. It's got a ballistic skill of two because it is a Tech Marine run- shooting it. Uh, the Accelerator Auto Cannon, heavy six, strength seven, AP minus one, two damage. So standard auto cannon thing, just more shots. And Twin Last Talon is a 24-inch 
heavy for las gun or las cannon so i mean nothing really surprising about that it's got the same movement as a thunderfire cannon so it can reposition itself three inches and it is a vehicle so it can do it without suffering any penalties to hit but I wouldn't – it's not a replacement for the Thunderfire Cannon. It has a completely no. different purpose, which is fine. Yeah. I don't think every – not every unit needs to be replaced with an identical Primaris unit. It also doesn't even have the Primaris keyword, so it's just an alternate artillery piece. Um, then we get into the all the Space Marine tanks, the Hunter, the Stalker, the Whirlwind. And yes, these all do have the smokescreen rule, so smoke launchers work by spending a CP on the Stratagem. The Predator has been split into the Predator Destructor and Predator Annihilator builds, which is, do you want an autocannon or a LAS cannon on the turret? They still didn't standardize the explodes rule, though. Every vehicle has its own explodes rule. I mean, you gotta keep some fun in the game. Well, you can't, can't, yeah, we can't I, go I completely know. universal. Right. I mean, different vehicles are different sizes, so there might be slight variations in... Yeah, the these are the exact stated. same vehicle with a different weapon on the turret. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, well. Well, just like there's a Gladiator well, Lancer and a Gladiator Reaper and a Gladiator Valiant for the Primaris-sized version of the, for, you know, for the floaty Predator. Well, but there might be a different, you know, power engine, you know, power supply for a last cannon versus an auto cannon, which might cause it to blow up differently. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you're going to be disappointed. They are exactly the same. I know. Yeah. <laughs> thinking of reasons. I don't know. <laughs> Let me check something, though. I think the Predator auto... So, like I said, I haven't gone through... Like, we just got this book a day or two ago. So, I haven't gone through every single data sheet. As I said, there's a ton of them. Um, now, the Predator auto cans the, the same. Heavy 2D3, three damage each. So, again, they just split it into two data sheets. And, um... The, yeah, the Gladiator, the, you've got the Lancer, which has the, the big LAS gun on it, which is 72-inch, uh, heavy to strength 10, AP minus 3, D3 plus 3 damage. <laughs> and you add one to hit with it because it has improved op optics. So it's a ridiculous vehicle popper that can move 10 inches without any penalty. So um, the Gladiator Reaper, which is made to kill infantry because it's got a twin heavy onslaught Gatling cannon, which is 30 inch heavy 24, <laughs> heavy 24 strength, six AP minus one, one damage each heavy 24 though, heavy 24. <laughs> now it does not have the improved optics, so it only hits on threes instead of, uh, in twos, but still 24 shots off of that thing. And then the Gladiator Valiant, which has a twin Laz Talon, which it's only got a 24-inch threat bubble. Well, and it's 10 inches of movement, so I guess 34 inches. But it's definitely... Well, and it's actually a higher power rating than the Lancer, so it gets it does get more shots, though. It gets... It's a heavy four, but I guess you, it's basically, do you want something that fires more like a, a Tau railgun, or do you want something that can get up and... Because it's also got a multi-melt on it, so or two multi-melts on it. So, do you want to do close-up armor destruction or long-range armor destruction? That's what determines whether you take a Valiant or a Lancer. And then they all have the Repulsor Field um, keyword, which keys off of the uh, Grav Pulse stratagem, which uh, you could. That's 
you have to actively trigger that stratagem to do the subtract two from the charge range. It's not just something that's up all the time on repulsor vehicles. That's good. But you can also use it to uh, the grab pulse to fall back and shoot. So you have to so you have to pay to reduce charge range, but instead you can fall back and shoot. I think that's a fair trade off and good for a strat rather than have a rule that's up all the time. And we get the land raider, which I mean, it's a land raider. Yeah, it's I mean the land raider's pretty much the same as it was before. Although the Land Raider Crusader, okay, that's the the Land Raider Crusader and Redeemer do have the assault launchers. Yeah. So that means you could have somebody disembark from a Crusader or a Redeemer and then have the Land Raider fire the assault launchers, prevent somebody from overwatching, and then charge into them. So that's cool. That's very tactical. I like it. Yeah, I, I dig that. I'm glad they have that that ability in there. And they do also have the machine spirit keywords and the uh, smokescreen keywords. So you basically get all the things. Then we get the, re- uh, the repulsor and the repulsor executioner, which also have the machine spirit. And then the rhino, the razorback, the impulsor, and the drop pods. Drop pod, this transport must start the battle set up high in the sky, see death from above. But neither it nor any units embarked within are counted towards any limits the mission you are playing places on the maximum number of reinforcement units you can have in your army. Transport can be set up in the reinforcement steps of your first, second, or third movement phase, regardless of any mission rules. Any units embarked within this transport must immediately disembark after it has been set up on the battlefield. They must be set up more than nine inches away from enemy enemy models. After the transport has been set up on the battlefield, no units can embark within it, so... It basically the same drop pod assault rules that we had and just clarifying, like, it doesn't matter what the mission says, doesn't matter what other limitations are. You can always these don't count for your army limits and they can always drop in. So you can do a full drop pod assault army if you want. That's actually kind of cool. So I, they still haven't addressed the door issue. I yeah, thought about they, they that. I didn't know if I want to bring it up or not. No, <laughs> no, I'll bring they're it they're up. They're not going to. <laughs> yeah. You can put Space Wolves in drop pods, so you can totally go against the fluff and have a complete drop pod Space Wolf assault arm. Oh, no. No, they don't no, have a problem that, with drop pods. Yeah. They had, the a with, they had a problem with tra- teleport. Yes. Uh, that's why Space okay. Wolves used to be the, the full drop pods, because they didn't uh, want to teleport their Terminators. But now you but you can't put Terminators in drop pods, so... Yeah, fair enough. You can't put Terminators, Primaris, Wolfen, or Centurion models in drop pods. That's the, Those are the rules. Them's the rules. And la- the Land Speeder Storm, Stormhawk Interceptor, Storm Talon Gunship, Storm Raven Gunship, and then finally the Hammerfall Bunker, which was the new fortification they can take. It does not have any capacity. You can't get into this bunker despite it having the bunker keyword. But it's basically just a big gun emplacement you can drop on the field. It has a heavy bolter array, which is... Uh, just a heavy bolter. It's a heavy three strength, five AP minus one, two damage or a heavy flamer array. And then it's got the Hammerfall missile launcher, which is basically a dual missile launcher because it's either heavy two or heavy two D six, whether you're firing crack or frag. However, it does have the, and it, it, it only has a ballistic skill starting at four up. It has 14 wounds. Um, however, in your shooting phase, each time this model is selected to shoot, its Hammerfall Heavy Bolter Array or Heavy Flamer Array can target and resolve attacks against every eligible enemy unit. 
And then each time it fires Overwatch, it only resolves attacks against the charging unit, but then becomes heavy six with the heavy bolter array or two heavy 2d6 for the heavy flamer array. So basically you put this out there and you can shoot at all the things. That's scary slash impressive slash. I'm interested to see how it works on the field. Well, it's also 175 points. Oof. So we'll see if I'll be, this strikes me as more of a fluff unit than a, uh, than like a competitive unit. So I don't see, think it'll see tournament play much, but it'll be a, I think it'd be a fun crusade unit. And then I want to get to the, uh, the points values. And again, I have not gone through and calculated like all the changes on points yet. So I do know that like, obviously a lot of things are going up in points because the units are just getting tougher. But this points list is take, and, and like I would need to compare it to the chapter approved list rather than what's in the Space Marine Codex. But I want to talk more about the presentation of this than anything. This is the best presented points list they've ever done <laughs> since they started doing these with like the beginning of eighth edition. Uh, basically, it's all broken out by battlefield role, like they've done before. Every unit is is listed one by one and each unit says this is the unit size this is the unit cost per model and then here's what the upgrades cost if there are no costs listed then the upgrades don't met like there's no cost associated with them you don't have to refer back to a separate list of weapon costs every unit has its own list of costs so for example like the first one is a captain unit size one model unit cost 85 points Combi Flamer plus five, Grav plus five, Combi Melta plus five, Combi Plasma plus, f- plus five, Jump Pack plus 25, Lightning Claw, single or pair plus five points. It is the, with a note, it is the same point cost to take a single Lightning ki- lightning Claw or pair of Lightning Claws. You don't have to pay for two of them. Power Axe is five, Power Fist is ten, Power Maul is five, Power Sword is five, Relic Blade is ten, Storm Shield is ten. Thunder Hammer 20, Xenophase Blade 10, because you can take a Xenophase Blade on your captain because Death Watch. Right. Hell yeah. In fact, I want to say page 129, they also give you the page number for the data sheet here, so it's easy to cross-reference back and forth. If this model is from the Death Watch chapter, it's a Stardust Chainsword, can be replaced with one Xenophase Blade. Just like the Primaris captain... If the model is from the Dark Angels chapter or one of its successors, its mastercrafted auto bolt rifle can be replaced with one special issue bolt carbine. So there are units that have special rules. What I do find interesting is there's no like frost weapons for uh, space wolves. Hmm. Yeah, those were limited mostly to commanders. Yeah, but like even the captain, I mean, obviously like Death Watch can take a Xenophase blade, but they're... Unless they're just going to consider frost weapons to be a like rolled in with power weapons, since all power weapons are also plus one strength, or it could were. be something special. That's true. Yeah. They could have something in the uh, like a strat or something in their supplement that will change what a frost weapon does. So yeah, uh, but yeah, that's like everything's listed, um, and that also allows them to do things like. So, for example, the Thunder Hammer on a Captain is 20 points. A Thunder Hammer on a Terminator Captain is 15. Yeah, so it allows them to do separate point costs for the same gear for separate characters. It just makes it very easy to look at a unit and figure out their cost with just looking at this one little profile section. 
it is just makes so much more sense. I really, really like this. But yeah, like for example, looking at your troops, a um, a tactical squad, and I'm not going to get into all the weapons because there's a huge list of weapons here. But uh, it's a five to ten model unit, eighteen points a model. Assault intercessors, nineteen points a model. Regular intercessors, twenty points a model. Incursors, twenty-one points a model. Infiltrators, twenty-four points a model. Heavy intercessors, twenty-eight points a model. And all of these are five to ten model units. So you can already see, like, yeah, if you want to play cheap troops, you're going to have to play tactical marines. But, like, and if we look over at scouts, a scout squad is 14 points a model because they also didn't get the extra wound bump because they are not full marines yet. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting to see how, how they've got this laid out. Oh, and also, like, bike squad, and this, is, I think, is actually mentioned in the data sheet for this, too. Bike Squad, if Space Wolves are one of its successor chapters, the unit size is 3 to 16 rather than 3 to 9. Nice. And they do also say uh, Bike Squads, if this unit is from the Space Wolves chapter, it gets the Swift Claw keyword. They don't have that on Assault Squads with Jump Packs. Uh, I think Swift Claw was the name of the bike. Or Sky, Sky Claw was the Jump Pack. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. Yeah, so there's no Skyclaw keyword in here. So it's it's just interesting to see, like, which keywords are they keying off of, which makes me think they're going to target things for stratagems in the, in their supplements. Yeah, and then you get into the... Uh, so you get through all the points lists, and like I said, everything is spelled out like this. I love this pointless system. It'll be very easy to put together your the cost of your army just by, like, running down what units you have and then calculating in what upgrades you have. Um, there's a glossary that de- defines everything from active combat doctrine all the way through successor of. And they explain, like, like what does the phrase, all the weapons in the unit can have their weapon A replaced with one weapon B each. When this wor- worker option is selected for a unit, every single model in that unit that is equipped with weapon A must have its re- weapon replaced with weapon B. It is not possible for only some of the models in that unit to have their weapons replaced and for others not to. As opposed to the phrase, any number of models can have their weapon A replaced with one weapon B. In this war gear option, selected for the unit, any number of models in that unit that are equipped with weapon A can have each of its weapon replaced with weapon B. It is only possible for some of the models in the unit to have their weapon replaced and for others not to. So, again, they are trying to very, kind of like the, the rare rules section. They're very carefully spelling out things like this so that there's no confusion they're very clear on what they mean by all the terms that might you may have just read in the book. What is a bolt weapon? What does a chapter command refer to? What does a chapter tactic refer to? What does the ma- the phrase maximum number of models mean? That one seems unnecessary, but okay. What is considered a melt weapon or a plasma weapon? And they even refer to on page 195, there's a list of special, pla- like, what weapons are referred to as plasma and bolt weapon, or plasma weapons, melt weapons, flame weapons. Psychic power types are back in the game. I didn't even realize that. A psychic powers type is written in bold at the start of its rules. There are three types of psychic power described in this codex. Blessing, malediction, and witchfire. There's a throwback. (laughs) Remember when that was a thing? Yep. Yep. Veil of Time, blessing. Might of Heroes, blessing. Uh, Fury of the Ancients, witchfire. Uh, Hallucination for obscuration. Uh, Malediction. So I'm assuming kind of like the stratagem types that eventually there will be things that key off of those. I don't believe there are yet. 
but they're kind of giving themselves some room to to expand on things in the future. I like that. I don't mind them having keywords that don't do anything yet. Yeah, exactly. And then finally, a reference, which again is like explains like in a little bullet point form. This is how combat doctrines work. This is how combat squads work. This is chapter what a chapter command refers to. Honorifics, outflank. So you've got the rules spelled out in full text earlier in the book. And then the reference sheet, you've got the summary version here that just covers all the basics. Again, this is a very well constructed, very well organized codex. Like as a codex goes, it is one of the most readable they've ever had it. I'm liking seeing the return to having some special rules that are universal. If not within uh, not, if not across all armies within a codex so that they don't have to keep listing the same thing over and over again. I think the changes to the army, I think it's definitely GW saying this is how we want Space Marines played. This is what we're trying to encourage. And I think the use of stratagems to recreate unit abilities or differentiate Primaris from non-Primaris and giving them special abilities... Overall, I like. I think I like the design philosophy I'm seeing. I think it's interesting because that gives them a chance to limit how the the stratagems are used, just in case you know maybe they didn't think about what if Unit X uses this stratagem. Holy shit! This becomes broken, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this like lets them like tailor those a little closer to what they're intending them to be used for. Yeah, definitely. You can, you can see that they were, they really kind of to dial in the stratagems and make them less like just universally awesome and make them more situational for different army builds. Although I do kind of wonder if at, at some point, maybe it would have just been simpler to make them rather than these abilities be stratagems make them abilities on the data sheets that cost CP. I think they wanted to keep them as stratagems so that they work under the same rules of stratagems. So like the one per phase limitation. Mm. Cause yeah. I think if they, I think if they were, and that also like, for example, the smoke screen rule. So like the way it's written right now is because it's a stratagem, you can pick one vehicle, a turn or one vehicle of phase and have it pop smoke or one unit with the smoke screen keyword have it pop smoke. If it was an ability that costs CP, theoretically you could like I've got six vehicles with the storm or with the smoke screen rule. I'll burn six CP. You're at minus one to hit all of them. I could that I think would get out outside of what they intend command points to be used for. Yeah. And with and with command points being easier to get now, I think it's less of an issue. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I I imagine with a lot of these abilities counting as stratagems, it is going to be seen as a nerf. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, like I said, it does limit what you can do. But a lot of the, the abilities that are being used this way are things that are not that rarely ever come up more than once a turn anyway. And so like like the Meltabomb thing, you are rarely throwing more than one, you know, using one more than one Meltabomb a turn. Smokescreen, you're rarely popping smoke on vehicles more than once a turn. Assault launchers, you're rarely getting a unit with those launchers into assault more than once a turn. I think it's kind of fine. 
Yeah. And like and like even the 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 assault launchers, I don't think it says you actually have to charge the unit. Yeah, you just use it at the start of the charge phase. You don't actually have to have the unit firing them charging. So that land raider uh-huh. doesn't have to charge in to get the benefit. It can just be close enough to use the ability. It's like they've put they de- you can tell they've definitely put some thought into this and they're trying to have command points be that resource. And they said during I remember they said during like the initial like ninth edition launches when they talked about using, you know, about giving people more command points that they did want to have more stratagems that would allow people to do cool thematic things during the battle. And I think that it's showing that that's not limited to just like the seven generic ones or even just like the regular like stratagems that we're used to seeing in codexes. I think, yeah, I do think this marks a new strategy and we'll see when we look next episode at the Necron Codex, how that carries over to an army that is not an Imperium Space Marine army and is equipped and behaves very differently. It also raises some interesting questions on how this is going to look for other armies down the road. Like, what changes would orcs get, for example, or Tyranids, or Tau, or, like, Dark Eldar? Like, you know, Dennis points out, like, are we going to see power from pain tokens come back? Is that a thing that could happen? Are we going to see stratagems that key off of that, that they're more willing to use because command points are just more common now? I'm I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. I'm, but... My initial take on it is I like the direction of it. I don't think this is going to be a huge, like it'll be a change if you're used to using scouts as troops, but I don't think this is going to change up space Marine, space Marine armies too much more beyond that. I think the units that were good are still good. I think bringing Thunderfire cannons down to a reasonable level makes them less an auto-take. And no, there should not be auto-takes unless you are in a codex that only has like one troop's choice. I think there's a lot of things that are viable. I'm seeing a lot of strategies that'll be fun to play with. Maybe, you know, may or not, may not be competitive. Um, I don't know if any of the lists I saw for um, the like Iron Halo, like let's see the White Scars list. Okay, it did use scouts for troops, so they'd have to give up some points there. But otherwise, like, grav cannon devastators, still going to be good. Outriders, still going to be good. Captains are, uh, they would, you know, Captain Chaplain Kasarakon, they'd probably have to change because you couldn't have Kasarakon and a captain at the same time because they both have the captain keyword. Mm, yeah. I'm just kind of looking at, like, what would change? Um, Hellbrecht's a chapter master, so. Uh, you well. Let's see. This this one didn't have had a chaplain and lieutenant, assault intercessor and curse. Like Ben Sherwin's list really wouldn't change much. Point I point values may have tweaked a little bit, but it really wouldn't change much. I'm trying to see if there are any other Space Marine. Yeah, those are the only two lists. But like the the White Scars one would change up a little bit, but the Black Templars one I don't think would. So it's like I. There's going to be a little bit of reorganizing, but I think it's going to be in along the lines of make space Marine armies look like space Marine armies rather than scouts bringing all their really buff friends. So like overall, what's, what's your all's uh, first impression of this codex? Again, we've only had this book for a couple of days. We have not obviously had any chances to like play around with this, but uh, what, what do you guys think of, of the design philosophy going into this? I don't know. I mean, truthfully I was 
going to be this was on my ignore list because I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter the Space Marines I play like Space Wolves and Death Watch. And now as we've gone through it, I'm like, oh, so I do need this in addition to the other two that are coming out this year. Yes, you, this this um, book will be required to play those. So I, I just have my concern about having multiple books to go look for and look up things about the armies. But uh, I'm I'm not sure yet. Well, and that's gonna that is gonna be true now for every Space Marine player. Every Space Marine yeah. player will effectively need this book plus their founding chapter codex or supplements. So like just like you know, if you're an Ultramarines player or a White Scars player or a Salamanders player, like you've needed that up until the you know since the the last codex came out. Now that's true for Blood Angels, Dark Angels, Space Wolves, etc. So, yeah, it is going to be a change for those. And, and like for me, somebody who's trying to get into Blood Angels, yeah, it means I've got an extra book to pick up. I can't just buy this one codex and, and be standalone and good. But I but I think the trade-off of having standardized rules for everything instead of like the weirdness of, well, it works this way in your codex, but slightly different in mine for reasons. I'm kind of glad that's gone. I mean, I'll agree. It's just, I just I'm going to have to get used to it. Adapting's hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, change is always hard to adapt to. Kevin, as somebody who also plays Death Watch and then tends to see things from the chaos side of the field, how do you feel about this one? No, I, I like it. I mean, I've I've been advocating for a change like this for a while, so I, I think it's good to have everything in one book, you know, and everything in one place, and then you know the supplements can be your your add-ons and stuff, and you know. We talk about needing multiple books, but in some ways, like going forward, you won't need, you know, I, I imagine that the supplements for these won't update nearly as often as the core book will. So you're not going to have to buy two books every single time that something comes out. So I like that they standardized it. I like that they've allowed concessions for like different, different non, you know, how space wolves have their own things or dark angels have inner circle and, you know, stuff like that, that allows those rules to still exist, um, but exist kind of within the same framework as all of the other chapters. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, it, and it's interesting, but it does as of right now, like the way this is built, it does make some of those armies very difficult to play in the interim, but that's, yes. that's just the growing pains of, of this in, in a month or two that will be fixed. But yeah, yeah exactly. you, you finally got everything you ever wanted, Kevin. Yeah. Except for good chaos armies. Except for good chaos armies. We'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, it'll be interesting to see what, like, the chaos equivalent of this will look like. I mean, obviously, they're going to get the same kinds of, like, wound changes and thus point changes. But it'll be interesting to see what, if you can, if that'll be basically held up as a dark mirror to this or if it's going to be wildly different. Not, not to be salty, but a part of me just expects the point changes and not the wound changes. Um <laughs> Why would you ever think that? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not like they've... I've never been burned by chaos before. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Richard? Um, I... It sounds like Space Marine stuff to me. Like, I don't hate it. I don't... There sounds like they've gotten some advantages and some some neat toys to play with and... They've toned down a few things that probably needed to be toned down, and sounds good. Like it, it's still kind of like 
as far as like the divine the design philosophy of the book, like it it still sounds like a, a bunch of the same stuff that they already do. So like you know, I'm not really all that expecting like drastic changes to like tyranids or orcs or anything. So mm-hmm. yeah, kind of early to tell how that's going to pan out, but. Uh, hopefully, when we take a look at the at Necrons, we can see how they handle this for Xeno's army. Maybe we, you know, like right now we've got one data point. Hopefully, with two, we can start to get a better picture of how this is going to carry over to other armies. All right, so yeah, like you said, this isn't this is not a deep dive. This is not a oh, this army is awesome now. Obviously, that would take a lot of practice and and uh, more time to delve deeper into this. But uh, all told, like. I, I like the presentation of the book a lot. I like the additions of Crusade stuff. I like how they're approaching a lot of these issues. And time will tell how well it pans out on the battlefield. But like I said, next week or next, like I said, next episode, we'll take a look at Necrons and see where how this looks from the other side of the field of Indominus. Uh, but uh, before we finish up the episode, we've got a couple more things. First up is hobby progress, and I have done nothing. I am very bad. I have been busy dealing with online schooling, so that has eaten up a lot of my brain space lately. So um, not my schooling, my kid's schooling. That has been – yeah, it's like like – She's gone from a kid who didn't have any homework last year to working till like 9 p.m. every day on homework. So just and then things are getting shifted around more. So it's it's like I said, I've been very busy with, with that stuff. So hopefully we'll get get down to a more medium load so I can start uh, having my own own time to do hobby stuff. But. Not nothing for me. I know Dennis, you also didn't quite hit your goals. Yeah, but I, I'll still say once again, I love having an actual painting table and thus a dedicated area to work that's not like shared with other things. Um, no, the first week, yeah, I got a whole squad of um, the steampunk dwarves and from Underworlds done. I was working on the Daughters of Cain this week. I got them fully like primed, base coated. And that's why I ran out of time because it's kind of like you getting busy. I had a 57 hour work week and that kind of ate up a lot of my extra time. (laughs) That'll do that. But I I plan on at least getting them finished this week and then maybe taking it lighter and doing fewer models next week, even though five's not that many five. It's about how much I can probably think I can easily get done a week if I work on it. Hey, five is more than zero, and that's what matters. That is true, and this is my my long-term goal to get things caught up in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Richard, what about you guys? Uh, I really just did more, like, hobby space cleanup. Um, I'm kind of at a point right now where, I mean, I know what I'm going to do with my space marines. They're going to be Death Watch. But um, with my Necrons that I have from, like, Indominus and previous purchases and stuff i don't really know what dynasty i'm going to take with them so i'm kind of been the holding warrior off painting. one i've kind of been holding off painting until uh until i get all the rules and i kind of know what's what i want to do with them as for me i it wasn't this week because i've been busy at work as well didn't quite have 57 hours but i had <laughs> more more like 52 but 
it's still a lot. Yes. Um, but I kind of missed last week's hobby progress. So, or last episode's hobby progress. Um, and I know that I had actually, um, during that period of time, I had put together a squiggoth that I had ordered. Ah, yeah. Nice. And Big so, boy. yep, he, he went together really well and, uh, still need to prime and paint him, but looking forward to doing that. And then I'm really getting close to, I, I need to start probably picking some Necron models to do some, some tests, uh, you know, color schemes on to, to see how I want to do. Cause I'm, I'm zeroing in on that color scheme that I want to do. All right. Do you have like one picked out? Or are you like working on like several different variations of it or trying like two or three different color schemes and seeing which one? Um, it, I, I, it's more just, yeah, like exactly like, like I know the, the color scheme I want to do is, is the white, blue, orange, um, but exactly, you know, where I want the little, what I want to be, what color, I, I still need to kind of hammer out for myself. Cause it, like armor plates and stuff, I kind of want to be like the white color and then like kind of like underlying mechanical stuff. I want to be like a, a metallic blue. And then, like, the blades and, like, their eyes and, like, the glowy stuff. I want to be orange. We just need to kind of test out on a few builds and see, like, how that pans out and if it's giving you the effect you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't... I I probably use some of, like, the old warriors that I've got assembled to, to... to try before I put together, like, the, I've got, you know, the 20 of the, the new warriors to, that I still haven't put together yet, but I'll, I'll wait until I get that, uh, color scheme a little more figured out exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with, sir. I think it'll be fun. And eventually, you and I will have to play some more. Yes. Since you're the only one left here. I, I'm the only one, you know. Kevin, come visit Dallas. We can play. <laughs> eh, nah, I'm not really interested in, drive, in traveling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe eventually. But anyway, that brings us to the final part of the show, which is the morale phase. When we talk about something that isn't directly 40k related, this that we have been enjoying lately. Um, and I know going into this one, I don't think we had any one big thing picked out. So we're just going to kind of wing it. <laughs> So I guess just everybody just list something, just like briefly list something you've been enjoying lately. Uh, I have been, well, I started watching it. It's the Amazon series, The Boys. And it's more fun than I had kind of expected. Like I was expecting, you know, the kind of gritty, really violent, satire-ish thing and it, it it is those things but it it's got kind of a a, a fun edge to it that i it, i wasn't quite expecting so so just having more fun fun with it, it 
not necessarily despite the dark edginess, but in addition to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, the you, boys Dennis? is really good. Uh, smattering of lots of things. I've tried out Genshin Impact. Um, Hades has been a fun one on Steam. Um, it's kind of like a roguelike game where you're trying to escape hell that your your dad owns because it's all about Greek gods and Greek myths. And it's I haven't delved far in it. Other people I know have, and it's been a fun like I don't say mindless game because you have to have like reaction speed on dodging things and whatnot and attacking, but mindless in the sense that you don't have to like plan out a really big strategy or anything. So it's it's a kind of a good change of pace from thinking through things a lot. How about you, Kevin? Uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO. Uh, they're about I think seven episodes into the 10 episode season. And it is just insane. Um, it's awesome. Like it, it's got, it's got a little bit of social commentary in it. Like it is about a group of black people in the fifties, but they also run into a bunch of like Lovecraftian mythos stuff. And it's the creativity in the monster design and how they use them. And like the stories that are being told with it is a really neat bent on Lovecraft and it's it's set dear with a, a lens and a time period that you don't normally see mythos stuff presented with because usually it's uh you see you know the the default like Cthulhu like 1920s 30s Lovecraftian stuff or you see like modern or futuristic stuff but setting it in you know 1950s America brings up a lot of other items through that lens that you can use and it's uh it's really well acted. It's 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 fun despite some of the darker moments. Um, yeah, it's just been a really good series. Yeah, I've 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 not heard anything bad about it from the people I know who have been watching it. So I definitely need to check it out. Uh, as for me, um, I think the, th- the thing I've been enjoying the most lately has actually been Ring Fit, which uh, if you have a Nintendo Switch and you are interested at all in your fitness. I have found Ring Fit to be a really good way to work in kind of a a quick CrossFit exercise every or like I'm doing it like every other morning and alternating with like bike riding. Mm -hmm. But um, it is a surprisingly robust um, exercise system that is also like wrapped in the the shell of a role playing game. Like you're going through these different zones and areas and doing quests and working through individual areas but you get through like there's you you basically take the the Wiimotes or not the Wiimotes, but the the switch, the Joy-Cons for the switch. And uh, like there's one you put onto a leg strap and then one you slide into this like tension ring controller. And like just with those two things, they like have you doing like everything from like like twists and overhead and like f- like overhead presses and yoga and like ab like i'm you know doing planking which sucks but it's <laughs> you know it, it it's good exercise and you're jogging in place and on the one hand it seems like oh it's a it's like a silly exercise movement game but no it will it'll kick your ass if you're if you don't take it seriously but they they've worked done a lot of work in it to make sure like you shift up your exercises you change things out you like different days or different areas you'll work on like, 
this area, you have to like do a bunch of ab exercises. This one, you'll have to do primarily leg. This one, you can do pretty much whatever. And like it uses the IR sensors to measure your pulse after exercising. And like, yeah, it and it also like after you've done so much exercise, it'll tell you, all right, you 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 should probably stop for the day. Do you want to keep going? You don't have to. They'll even warn you, like, don't overdo it. They've got a lot of like fitness tips. So it's it's given me a chance to do a really comprehensive CrossFit workout without having to leave the house, which is nice and which makes it much cheaper and, and easier than a uh, gym membership right now. And <laughs> my partner says she's already starting to see like changes in like arm definition and stuff. So it, it is working and we've got a couple of friends, like one friend of ours, Tim, just hit like level 200. In yeah, the he's... Yeah, he said nothing but great things about it. That it's you know doing it every day has helped has helped him a lot. And uh, he 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 has mentioned that like he gets a good workout. Like he'll be you know he'll have to go take a shower because it's like drenched in sweat. Because oh yeah, no it it <laughs> yeah yeah it 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 is no joke. So it's um it's hard to find because no, that's the thing I, I was gonna say is it used to be hard to find. It, I'm starting to see it more in stores nowadays. So yeah, it's, it, it's becoming easier to find now. Yeah. But if you have a switch, which that's a challenge in and of itself right now, but if if you already have one, highly recommend it for for doing exercise. Yeah, I've been meaning to try and find a try and find a copy of it. Um, I haven't been out looking for it, it in a while since it was so hard to find for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, I kind of need to move where my switch is. My switch is kind of tucked into an alcove where, you know, I've got TV and, and my work table and my, my desk with my computer. And like, there's not room for me to like exercise here where my switch is. So like, I, I, if I pick one up, I'll probably try and pick up like, you know, like a second dock and, and then I can, I can set the dock up somewhere else and then just move my switch out to it, it, the Isn't main that one room. of the cool things about the switch though is you can just move it around if you have another dock? Yeah. Yeah, if it we lucked upon finding a copy at like at Target like a uh, a few weeks ago. So, but yeah, if if Dennis is seeing some more out there, there probably are you'll probably have an easier time finding a copy of it now. Yeah, that's I've good. actually bought a few more than one. Yeah, because my brother's getting his stuff for um, his family, so they don't listen to this. So I don't. I don't feel bad about saying that, but his family's <laughs> going to be getting a a switch because I found a switch as well. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and um, then I had another friend who had a switch who I who couldn't find Ring Fit, so I picked up Ring Fit for them as well. So nice. I've had good luck finding things. You're the Ring Fit Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, and on that note, with Dennis being Ring Fit Santa, I think we'll wind up the episode. (laughs) So, yeah. So next episode, we'll be taking a look at the Necron Codex and seeing what it brings. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and keep active, everybody.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.